find other great podcasts like this one at podmoth.network. Today, we bask in the light of mustachial greatness. Today, we sort of have a random double hitter for you. I recently saw that movie that Tim Yovo's been telling me to watch for the last year, it feels like. I'm pretty sure it's been a year. It's called RRR. I'm sure you've all heard of it. It's been the the the, the rage the last couple of... I feel like I've just been seeing uh, a lot of coverage on it and a lot of reaction videos of it um, just within the last six months or so. Um, and I decided to, you know, finally give it a watch. So I'm going to talk about that a little. I'm also going to give you a bit of bonus content. I've decided to start covering films that one of my favorite podcasts, The Grind Bin, has covered in the past. Uh, these will be solo tolos, much like this one. Um, and in the light of all that, I'm going to share one of my favorite episodes that I actually guessed it on. And uh, hopefully you all enjoy that as well. But without further ado, let's gain the love of a rich white by kicking our feet around like crazy, become best friends with the guy trying to hunt us down, and make a bangle bracelet in three seconds flat, baby, because we are in British colonized India, and it's time to kill some rich whites jungle book style. Row! Now play that shit theme song. <laughs> so dope. It's the most deadly podcast you We're ready for the show. We'll watch moves, we'll make jokes, and then we'll all go home. What is up? This is your host, Daniel J. Segura. And today, it's just me. Uh, like I said, the cold open, it's a it's a bit of a solo cello. This this won't be too long. I RRR is such a it's a it's a it's a long watch. There's a lot going on, but it's also kind of a simple film at the same time. It just if you take out all the slow motion parts, um, the action scenes, and the songs, yeah, it's probably got a solid ninety minute film. <laughs> But I do I do respect the fact that they don't they don't um, trim the fat. It, it felt like, and honestly, there wasn't a lot of fat to trim. I'll give it that. Uh, it felt like everything that was in there uh, was it, it never nothing felt out, uh, out of place. It all felt like it was supposed to be there. Granted, if you've never seen a Bollywood film, random music videos could seem out of place in a movie, but it's not out of place for a Bollywood film, which I've become. More exposed to, and and probably within the last five years or so, um, I was pretty uh, new to the whole concept. And thanks to all the podcasts that I listen to and podcasts I've guested on, I've I've been given the opportunity to experience them, and and I, I actually really do enjoy it. And I've said in the past, I'm not a big musical guy. I don't really like a lot of my um, stories told through music. I find it kind of annoying because I kind of want to just enjoy the song, but then like they they're always giving like little hints of the plot and stuff within the song, or they're letting you know what's going on. And this one really does that. This one has a lot of like if you really listen to the lyrics or if you read the lyrics, because I mean if you're watching it in Hindi, uh, unless you know that language, you're not gonna know what they're saying. But if you have the English captions, you're able to kind of see what they're saying. And a lot of it is very it's almost very specific. These two guys are very opposite. But who knows? Well, this Indian blood, <laughs> you know, 
like <laughs> that's not the way it sounds but, um it's just interesting it's very on the nose but it's it's charming i like it i decided to watch it with my mom i recently saw i've been on a good little streak here it's, it's not much of a streak it's only two movies in a row but i i i i asked my mom if she wanted to see a movie the other day she's living with me and um she was like yeah 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 and i was like i was like let's watch something kind of different have you ever heard of wang wang <laughs> she goes what yeah, he's he made this movie called For Your Hide Only. I believe that's the name of it. And I was I was needing to cover it uh uh for a podcast. I believe it was the Bloody Bits. Yeah, Bloody Bits Horror Show. Uh speaking of Tim Yellow. And I figured, eh, might as well watch it and my mom's here, see if she likes it. I've never seen my mom laugh so damn hard, like tears coming down her eyes laughing. And it was a banger, man. Like, that movie is so much more fun watching it with somebody. And I just would have thought watching it with my mom would, would be entertaining. But watching her enjoy it, I had, I actually took some video of her reacting to it. And maybe I'll put it right here if I can find the video. But um, it was super, super fun. Anyway, I thought, well, I want to watch RRR. I wasn't even really planning on doing an episode on it. Granted, there's a hell of a mustache in there. Uh, if, if we're going to be honoring anybody... It's got to be a Ram Sharan. I could be pronouncing that horribly wrong. Could be Ram Sharan. I'm not sure, but he plays uh, Raju, um, who's this. He's a revolutionary leader, uh, but uh, he he joins armed forces and this and that, and it's, it's he's a big part of the story, right? Anyway, killer mustache on that guy. <laughs> Granted, though, he kind of looks better when he adds the beard later. But anyway, so I decided to go and throw it on, and we gave it a watch, and she absolutely loved it. Absolutely loved it. We had a great time with it. She she really liked the music parts. At first, it caught her off guard. The first time they they broke in a song, she was a little thrown off. She thought the montage was kind of cheesy. But I told her, like, because I, I, I sort of told her, the montage, well, there was a lot of montages, but the, the first one when they become best friends. I told her, man, this is like basically the scene where Rocky and Apollo are running down the shoreline, racing each other, and then they embrace each other and jump in the air together. It's basically that scene, but for three hours almost. It's like you really see these two these two individuals completely find their homeboy. It's amazing. But anyways, what I'm really trying to say is these two guys have some probably have some giant brown sugar penises oh hi if you're looking for another spooky and funny podcast to add to your rotation check out anything bones now part of the Podmoth network hey boneheads i'm sophie schwartz and i'm caitlin hart and we're the hosts of anything bones the podcast where we talk about bones and bone related topics so what are bone related topics Thank you for asking, Caitlin. This can be anything from mausoleums to murderers, famous skeletons to cadaver dogs, bone churches, mummies, serial killers. You'll hear about them all. And sometimes we have guests stop by and tell us their favorite bony tales. Check out Anything Bones on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, or wherever your little heart desires. We release new episodes every Saturday. Bone Voyage. So anyway. 
Um, I, I mean, I really don't need to go to get. I don't need to go too much into the plot of the film. If you want to see it, check it out. I highly recommend RRR. It is an amazing watch. I want to actually see it again because there's just so much stuff going on, and it's um. There's just it, it, a lot of little details too, um, especially if you follow the songs and things like that. But I just like the the little bit of, and I was kind of expecting this just from the other Bollywood films I've seen. There's always like a solid twist at some point in the third act, and at least in the movies I've seen. And I kept trying to figure out why Homeboy was like kind of a turncoat and he was he was a policeman and the first time you see him uh the first time you see ram he's like basically beating the shit out of his own people and you're like oh shit like this dude is like for real he kind of comes across like he kind of he kind of looks like a uh an indian um uh what was his name? He's like a famous uh, singer, uh, Ricky. Uh, he did La, uh, "Live in La Vida Loca," <laughs> but uh, you know, <laughs> what was his name? <laughs> Ricky Martin. There you go. Sorry, I had to look it up. <laughs> Ricky. He looks like a way more muscular, more chiseled uh, uh, Ricky Martin, uh, but in, in a wonderful Indian form, you know. Solid black hair, solid fucking mustache. This mustache might be I'm I, I, y'all can argue with me if you want, but this might be one of the best mustaches. I know we've done Sam Elliott. Sam Elliott's probably number one in my book, but damn. Senior Ram's got a hell of a stash on him and he's got a hell of a lot of other things. Let me tell you what. <laughs> uh surprised they didn't have him shirtless more often. And I think I read something like he had to stay he had to stick to this very specific, and I think this goes for a lot of the uh, leading uh, male actors and probably even the female um, uh, actors in Bollywood. Like they have to go through intense training and keep to a certain diet for months and months and months. And it really does look like this film probably took a long time to make. I don't have the um, that information. I'm sure somebody does, but. I'm sure it took a long ass time to make this film, probably a couple of years. If I wouldn't be surprised, and imagine trying to keep that physique for that long period of a long time. Like I got kind of in shape, like last September, October, I was looking pretty solid. And then the holidays came, and so did some depression in November, and I just fucking blew up. I didn't get back to the weight. I, I didn't gain all the weight I lost, but I gained, like, almost half of it back. So now I'm back trying to to lose some weight. Um, doing pretty good so far. Doing pretty good. I had an injury in April. Hurt my heel. I don't know if I mentioned this on the podcast, but there's a little bit of a tangent, but who cares? My friend's throwing this wedding party at his house it's really more of like it's kind of like a it's like a house party to celebrate his his, his recent marriage it, it was very cash very casual <clears throat> and he had just gotten this new house so you know we all wanted to go check it out and so we're in the backyard i'd never been in his house and we're in the backyard i'm about eh, four beers in but definitely like five or six shots as well in so i'm really feeling myself it's probably about close to 1 a.m and he has this tall, like, 10, 10 and a half foot brick wall in the backyard. 
because he's right along um, a road. So for privacy, they just have these giant, you know, these really big walls. Am I weird at – I don't know what – I guess like you know how some, some men, their midlife crisis is, oh, I'm going to get a Ferrari or I'm going to get that Camaro I always wanted. I just try feats of strength. <laughs> I try to show my friends that, hey, I could still do all that stuff we did when we were teenagers or when we were in our 20s. And and so I, I just sort of exclaimed, like, hey, I bet I could climb that wall. And, of course, all my friends are like, hell no, dude. You can't climb that fucking wall. And I was like, I think I could climb it. I think I could hoist myself up there. And uh, they all put five bucks down. And, yes, in fact, listeners, I did climb that wall. It hurt. I even kind of bruised my ribs doing it because I think – like I was drunk, so I really didn't feel that much pain at the moment. But I think me coming at it so quickly, um, it, it was not good for my body. And so I do hoist myself up. I climb up. I actually do have a photo of me straddling it like a goddamn cow, midnight cowboy <laughs> and just shouting at the moon, Ooh. I was like Curly Bill in Tombstone when he's all high on opiates. <laughs> and so I didn't kill an innocent old man. And so I decide I'm going to hoist myself off and do like a little bit of a turnaround, like a little 360 jump off. Because why? I don't know because I'm an idiot. The grass is kind of wet because it was kind of dewy that night and the ground was a little uneven. I'm not blaming the ground. It was definitely my fault. But... I fell – all my weight fell on my left heel, all of it, and I slipped straight back and knocked the back of my head down on the ground. Luckily, it was thick grass, so didn't have a concussion or anything. Um, so I was able to get right back up, but all, I did feel like a certain odd feeling in my heel, and I was like, ah, I think it's okay. And then the next morning, I could not put not even an ounce of weight on my left heel. The pain was – and I've, I've really hurt my ribs before. I've had some – some pretty tough injuries, nothing crazy, but I've had some tough injuries, but this was like one of the most painful things I've dealt with in a bit. So I was kind of just walking on the ball of my foot for about a month, for about a fucking month. I, I sh probably should have gone to the doctor, but I think it was just a really bad bruise because it was not, there wasn't really any swelling. It was, I think it was all internal bruising. Uh, so it, it still can get a little sore right now. It's been about a month or so. But it's feeling better than ever, and but I basically I couldn't I couldn't run, and and that's one of my primary forms of cardio. I love running. I don't have a bike or anything. A bike would have been great if I had a bike because that doesn't require me to put my heel down. But I don't have one, so I couldn't run. I I take boxing classes. I couldn't do boxing because there's a lot of planting your foot. There's a there's some there's some cardio involved there too, and they make you run and stuff. So I wouldn't have been able to participate in everything, and so I was just waiting. And now I'm back at it, so I'm think I'm hoping in the next month that sexy Daniel's back, ready for the summer, show off my titties and my hairy nipples, and just get every all the forty five plus BBWs going, because uh, <laughs> that seems to be that seems to be my target market, uh, unknowingly, but. Yeah, if I hit the perfume section at a Sears, bitches, watch out. <laughs> Damn. I'm peeling them off. Anyway, so back to the movie. Uh, <laughs> I 
I did really love I I did really love a lot of those sequences. I think maybe one of my favorite sequences is the uh the tiger capture scene. It's the first uh first time we meet um one of our main characters uh, uh Beam, I guess, Beam. And uh, he's played by NT Rama Rao Jr., which sounds like a boxer. <laughs> but he's badass. I love this guy. He's got a great head of hair. They both have a great head of hair, but I like his. It's got like that nice little puff to it, you know? Uh aerodynamic and uh he's got he's also got a good solid amount of facial hair, kind eyes as the rich white British lady says. Oh, let me put my phone on vibrate. One second. I will put it on vibrate. You remember that? <laughs> I don't know if anyone remembers that there used to be a turn your cell phone off commercial uh, featuring Steve Martin as the Pink Panther. I don't know if y'all remember that, but I just always remember him saying it like that in his horrible French accent, which I think I did even worse. But anyway, um, yeah, so uh, Behem is awesome. He There's that whole scene where he, he – he, they we don't know why, and that's what I love about this movie. There's not a whole bunch of – like I said, the the songs kind of give a little bit of exposition, but not much. It's more kind of poetic in a way. But there's not a – like you really got to just kind of follow the movie, and there's not a single moment to really think much because the movie just goes, 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 goes for three hours straight. There's not really a lot of time to breathe. Even the slow moments don't take too long. There's not these like long, drawn-out scenes of like someone – you know, like the Batman film where you, you just see a uh, Twilight guy walking around. And it's super slow motion, and you're listening to a Nirvana song in, like, the slowest, like, as if you put the record in the wrong RPM. <laughs> That's not like Rocky singing. That's not like Sylvester Stallone singing Nirvana. Anyway, um, so, yeah, anyway, so, yes, I love that scene. I like that he throws some magic dust on his face, uh, which made me think of that Christmas song from uh, Cheech Marina with the... the What's it called? <laughs> Y'all ever heard of that Christmas song? Uh, featuring a uh, homeboy, uh, Cheech and Chong. It's a magic dust, bro. The fucking got him in the magic dust. Anyway, maybe you haven't. But he throws the magic dust, and it, it honestly gave me the feels a little bit. Even though it was a CGI tiger, he's holding he's holding this tiger head. By the way, like considering, you know, all the animals are CGI, it's not bad. Like, it's, very, it's obvious, you know, it's obvious, but it, it looks good. It looks pretty good, very smooth. And I'm sure there were some Bollywood films like early 2000s that were using CGI because I know they've always been pretty extreme. And I'm sure it was almost like cartoonish, almost like uh, Kung Fu Hustle. But Kung Fu Hustle is kind of doing it on purpose because it's basically like Looney Tunes and Kung Fu. Anyway. Um, sorry, I'm really gassing right now. I'll try to take these out, but I probably won't. Uh, so... He he starts like getting really emotional because he, he's like, "I'm so sorry, brother, but you know we need you." He's telling this to the tiger, and the tiger's like, "Roar, roar, you son of a bitch, you fucking drug my ass." Or maybe the tiger's high as fuck here. This could be like Salvia in powder form, and this this tiger's in another world. He's in a cartoon world. He's Tigger, or something. I don't know, but it's just it's it's amazing. I love that scene. You 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 see uh, Beam's just amazing fucking muscles and. I I don't know who's stronger. Would it make would it kind of, the movie kind of makes it seem as like Behem is strong, like strong the stronger one of the two friends, and 
and um, Ram is more like, or Raju is more like kind of universal soldier kind of guy. Like he knows how to fight really well. And and Veeam doesn't really know how to fight well, but if he gets one good hit on you, you're fucking done kind of guy. And I've never seen a friendship movie because really that's this movie's about friendship and love, right? Like but a lot of like a lot of films are about that, but this one takes it to a level that I've never seen it physically done. I've seen a lot of movies about friendship and love where the script, um, the the, the script has a character say a lot of very loving things. And it feels very real, and it touches you, it touches your heart, or whatever. <laughs> whatever you know, those people, y'all, y'all fucking pussies that have hearts. Um, it makes y'all emotional. But I've never seen it physically done in a bromance way this well, to the point where physically these guys become connected. And I don't mean connected in the form of they shake hands like in Predator with Arnold Schwarzenegger and Carl Weathers. I mean these guys connect to each other. By uh, at some point, you know, uh, Beam figures out that Raju is is actually he's joined the he's joined the police officer or joined kind of kind of like the military in a way, but he's joined the police force there with the the, the British uh, Empire because he's trying to infiltrate. He's basically like an undercover uh, agent, secret agent, and shit, which is crazy. And they show some back background of all that, which is all very emotional and. He saw at a very young age, he showed a lot of promise for being a great soldier, had super good aim. Uh, thank God he's not some crazy white kid here in the States. <laughs> but <laughs> Damn, fucking school shooting joke. Um, but uh, no, he instead he's, he's, he's in a tribe and, and with very little resources, and he's basically the future of their survival if, they're the, if they are to find independence from – the great witch rights, uh, rich whites of the British Empire. By the way, if you like to see rich white people get killed by by animals, <laughs> this is uh, this is up there, baby. If you liked Rage, <laughs> I think that was the name of that movie. You're gonna really like this one. Uh, just CGI uh, cats just destroying people and wolves and shit. Gotta love it. Anyway, so yes, he goes through. He sees his father die uh, because. Uh, his father was with the the police force for a bit, and he he basically decided to get out of it because he they saw them just ruthlessly destroy this man who I guess was broke the law or some shit and and there's this 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 ongoing theme that that the the uh, the guy in charge there Ray Stevenson plays him Governor Scott Buxton. He has this this ongoing theme of where he says, like, do you know how long it took for that bullet to be made in the in the British Empire? That's not how he talks. <laughs> I don't even, that's not even a British accent. I don't know what that was. But um, he does this thing where it's like, do you know how much money that took? It's took it cost this many shillings for that to get all the way from here to the shores of India into your fucking pocket. And you're going to waste it on this trash is basically what he says. So he has them kill the man with a blunt object i think it's like a giant sledgehammer or something and it's it automatically makes um Rushu's dad just be like I, I can't do this fuck this he denounces it rips his medals off gets as many um arsenal as he can take and under yeah, like this is at the dead of the night you know he goes back to his tribe and he starts training the the, the people there including little Raju, you know who's like 12 or something 
But hey, you know, you got to do what you got to do when it comes to uh, to 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 creating revolution. So he trains them and this and that. They only have one working gun, and yeah, eventually the the British soldiers come through to capture him. And of course, they're ruthless and they kill children, they kill women, they blow off. Uh, it was kind of, there's this one scene that kind of threw me out of the moment for a second because the dad's dying. He got shot trying to defend the the town, and they only have one gun, and they're going against like out of forty five soldiers or something. And he's doing a damn good job. He's, the dad has skills, and which I guess makes sense why uh, you know his his kid would have skills. And the dad's finger gets blown off. Right, and there's a part where he goes out to reach his son's hand because he's dying, but he reaches his he reaches his blown off finger hand. Like, Dad, don't give me your blown off finger hand. Give me the one good one you got, buddy. I don't want blood all over myself. I got to shoot the rest of these soldiers, man. Like, Jesus Christ! So he gives him his sticky, bloody finger hand, and um, he dies there. And uh, Roger's able to fight him off enough to get away. And so then, eventually, in the future, that's when he joins the police force. Bada big bada boom. But Behem finds this out way too late and he feels incredibly bad about it. But that's the twist, right? We didn't know all that. We just were like, man, this Raju guy's a real fucking turncoat piece of shit. You know, he's killing his own people and, well, not really killing, but like really fucking up his own people. I don't know if he kills anybody of his own people. Maybe. But maybe one of them, like, just, you know, <laughs> didn't recover or. <laughs> Had a bad concussion and didn't wake up the next day because this guy just beats the shit out of people all the, the whole movie. But it's so funny, like, the contrast because the first time we see him, he's, like, this universal soldier beast boy. Then when he becomes really close friends with Behem, he's, like, the nicest fucking dude. He's, like, the greatest wingman of all time, this, this son of a bitch. This guy could get you with anybody. The fact he's able to, to hook up Behem with this this white British lady – and they both don't know each other's language <laughs> is amazing. He's kind of like a translator. He, he's uh, I might be saying it wrong. I think he's speaking to Telugu. Maybe I'm saying it wrong. Telugu. Um, and of course, he's speaking the Queen's English. And uh, yeah, and so Raju's down, bro. Like that dude is hooking him up. But then, like once he finds out, Behem is actually. Um, the person he needs to he he he's hired to capture this this individual who's a rebel blah 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 and that happens to be Bahim but he doesn't know right away uh, but then when he when he finds out eventually when he captures Bahim's brother and he interrogates him and he actually his brother doesn't say anything his brother actually gets out by one of the other cooler scenes where his brother's kind of like <laughs> he attracts a snake to his to, to capture him. And it's a, it happens to be a poisonous snake. Could you imagine? I guess it's life or death anyway. So, hey, if the snake bites you, you die. So you don't – you're not going to give the information anyway. So you're going to probably get killed. Why not death by snake? And so he captures the snake, though, throws it at Raju, and that dude gets bit in the face, I think. He's dying. But he notices while he's dying, Bahim saves him. But he notices that Bahim and his brother, who which he didn't know was his brother at the time – both have this like holy necklace thing. It's like a woven necklace thing, which looks incredibly uncomfortable. But hey, if it's protecting you, fuck it, right? And so he puts put, puts together the dots, and he tries to stop him in that initial attack where he sticks all the animals on him. It's really fucking cool, man. The, all the action scenes. It's very 
there's a lot of heartfelt moments. There were some moments that made me kind of emotional, like the part where uh, Bahim's whole purpose is to try to get this girl that the British uh, uh, British Imperial dudes took, or specifically this this one lady who looks like she's had plastic surgery, even though it's like 18 some shit or 1920 or something. It's like 1920, and this chick's had a facelift. I'm like, where the fuck did she get that from, man? Those Indians were headed to their time. I'm like, what the fuck? Just make her, just find a, a old rich lady. She doesn't have to look like that. She looks like a cat. Anyway, so she steals this little girl, and I'm trying to remember her name. It's like Millie or Willie. No, it's not Willie. That's not a name. Molly. Molly. And, uh, man, I might be saying that wrong. I may be forgetting it, but I'm pretty sure it's something like that. Super cute girl. She sings. She knows how to do those um those little tattoos that aren't permanent. What are they called? Ah, oh, shit. What are those t tattoos called? Y'all are probably all saying it. I can't remember. I want to say hentai, but that's actually... <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's, not, it's definitely not that. Henna. Henna tattoo. <laughs> God damn it, dude. Yeah, she does those henna tattoos. So I guess because she can sing and does henna, she just is like, oh, cool, let's keep her. So she takes her from the tribe, and that's the whole purpose of Behem's job is to get into that palace, get the girl back, and get back to his tribe. And they that's who they're trying to capture. And then Raju's purpose is to capture that rebel and and get him over to, uh, to Stevenson, Buxton or whatever. Get him over to him, and then he's going to be promoted to special officer or something like that. And they, he's trying to get higher up because he wants to be able to get closer um, to to their arsenal. So it's basically his whole mission is to get all the guns he can get and get them to his people so they can protect themselves and fight against the British Empire. It's all very cool. But Behem is like – he eventually realizes what happened, and he almost tried – he almost ends up killing Raju at this one moment when Raju tries to get him back uh, to, to – um, to Molly, and because there's this execution scene, because they do capture Behem, and there's this part where he's man, this guy takes it. I think he took it better than Jesus. <laughs> like this guy can take some hits. Jesus Christ! Yes, yeah, Jesus Christ! Holy shit! This guy, we should just be saying uh, uh, Behem or <laughs> I'm just bashing names today, Jesus. But yeah. He there's this whole scene. Where he just gets whipped, and then the the fucking the rich white lady with that looks like a cat throws down some sex toy that I'm sure uh, Buxton's had up his asshole a couple of times. It looks like something that would have been used in Seven for the fucking uh, lust kill. <laughs> like, jeez, dude. But it's really fucked up. It's really bloody, and it's very emotional. He starts singing away the pain, which is amazing. Um, I don't think I could sing anything while I'm getting whipped by a spiky whip, um, other than death metal or something be singing some spite have y'all ever heard of spite check out spite good shit anyway so <laughs> how's this episode going <laughs> this is why i haven't done a solo show in a long time right i'm rusty but anyway so yes he's getting executed this is all raju's actually doing all this so it's crazy it's like the ultimate betrayal of your best friend your best friend is it's doing this to you and then he feels bad Bahim survived somehow. These guys are indestructible. Absolutely indestructible. They're bleeding one scene, the next scene, they look great. 
Uh, the only difference is because um, Raju gets him, ends up getting caught because he 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 is able to set Bahim free, get him to get him with Mali. They escape, but of course he sacrifices himself and he gets caught. And all he he still is able to work out in prison. He looks great, and he just looks like now he just looks like Indian Jesus, uh, which he probably looks closer to the way Jesus actually looked in real life. Um, so, but he looks great. He looks like a, a he would have been a great grunge star in Seattle or something. And they get out. Uh, Bahim finds out from uh, his fiance the whole thing. He connects all all the dots are connected, and Bahim is like he's just like. Our beam, I'd probably say it wrong. It's probably beam or something. I don't know why I can't remember how it was said in the movie, but he tells uh, he tells his fiance like, I didn't know he had such a bigger purpose than me. I'm just trying to get this little girl that sings and, and, and does henna. Uh, <laughs> and this guy's trying to save our entire freaking people <laughs> from, from British rule. And, and tea. Who the fuck likes tea? Fuck those guys. <laughs> so he doesn't say that. And so he gets he he goes on a one man mission. This guy's like Rambo. Goes on a one man mission. And here's the kicker. So I'm almost done here. Raju is underground. He's in an underground cell, which is so fucked up. Talk like that's worse than solitary confinement in prisons nowadays. Like not only are you. Uh, all by yourself in a super tight confined space, but um, you're outside in the elements, and and so it, I'm sure it's, I'm sure it's hot. So he knows, uh, Beam knows that Raju's in one of those those little cells. So he puts his head to the ground and knocks on the ground, and somehow Raju hears that. So not only do these guys have super strength, they have supersonic hearing. So these are some of the most powerful beings ever created. And he eventually finds them, but Raju's legs are wackadacky, right? That's not a thing, wackadacky, but they're not working. They're asleep, they're asleep, but he's been at least doing pull-ups. So his arms are good, his shoulders are good, his abs are good, but his legs are just, you know, wiggly-woggly. So uh, Beam puts them on his shoulders, and they become one. This is, this is what I was telling you, where they become connected, like physically connected. They're like a fucking Indian Transformer. And... <laughs> And they fucking destroy everyone, all the British cats there, all by him being on his shoulders. The part where he's climbing up on the spotlight tower is what <laughs> I was laughing out loud and impressed at the same time. It's like watching one of my sex tapes. And it was just amazing. Anyway, so they, they eventually get into the woods, and then there's a huge fight. There's this huge fight scene there, and it's epic as hell. I, I couldn't do it justice. Like, the things that happen in this movie, I can tell you about it as much as I want, but you have to see it if you haven't seen it. And for those that have seen it, I'm sure you you know how epic it is. Like, there's a lot of really cool stuff with motorcycles and horses. and A lot of... Uh, we find out that Raju is basically the greatest uh, bow and arrow cat ever made, like move over. Uh, actually, he, uh, what's his name? Hawk. Uh, what's his name? Is it, it's not Hawkeye. Is it Hawkeye? The guy that shoots the, the bow and arrows um, for Marvel. Is it Hawkeye? Right. Isn't that his name? Well, move over Hawkeye. Go get run over by a snowplow because Raju's here to fucking kick some ass, bitch. Uh, I would have made that joke if he died. And so, uh, maybe <laughs> I'm not even drinking. This is just pure. This is just pure enjoyment from the film. R R R. 
How do you say that in Spanish? And so he, uh, so they eventually they 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 get over to the to the castle or whatever. It's not really a castle, but it's like a big old fort uh, palace place. They get in. They throw a motorcycle perfectly into the building. That apparently that they threw TNT in like every other room. They didn't have room. It's like uh, they didn't have a solid storage facility. So they were like, "Is that more TNT? Throw it in the god damn it! Throw it in the bedroom just down the way. We're not using it." Um, the little girl was using it for Hannah, but they took her. So just throw it back in there <laughs> because the whole fucking place explodes. Um, cat, uh, rich white cat lady dies. Thankfully, she gets fucking just tangled in barbed wire. She get bitch. I'm sure that's kind of symbolic because she used those little spiky, uh, you know, whip, you know. So, and she's bleeding on Buxton. Buxton gets up. And by the way, Ray Stevenson does a fantastic fucking job. I mean, I the part where like he gets thrown out of the car and he still lands on his feet, like only Punisher Warzone, right? Like that is some Punisher Warzone shit. That's all I could think of. And he so he's he's got his final fight and he's pretty much defeated. They destroy his ass. I think they get him with an arrow and then um, uh, beam shoots him, and he dies. And uh, everyone lives happily ever after. <laughs> pretty much, that's pretty much what happens. And uh, it's just amazing. I don't know how else to say it. I had so much fun with it. Uh, my mom loved it, so she she was like, "Man, you show me all these great movies, this and that." I'm like, "It's not me. It's all of my friends that watch a lot of movies, and they have great recommendations, and this is one of them." Um. Oh, and then of course it ends with the dope ass music video. How can I forget? And what I love about it is like they bring back characters that died. Like the dad's, but the dad's like, "Hey, I'm not dead. I'm dancing. Look at my patitas. They're really fast." And by the way, I really want to learn some of that dancing style. I didn't catch what they called it because they say it once, but I could probably look it up, obviously. And it's amazing. It's a lot of kicking. They do like, you know, back in the day when I was young, we used to have like freestyle dance battles, you know, and you would try to do a K kick and flip on your head and do all kinds of shit. And I sucked at it, but you always had to have cardboard with you. I think I would have been better at this. I had mad leg endurance. I was a good soccer player. I was a long-distance runner. I could have, and I was, was skinny, too. I was, like, solid 125 soaking wet in seventh grade. So I would have been rocking that shit. My patitas would have been moving so fast, it would have lit a fire into my feet. My converse would have been melted. <laughs> so, but I really would like to learn some moves. That looks like some aerobics right there. And I, one thing I would say was, like, during the party scene where they, they do the battle and everything, I skipped some stuff here. It's a three-hour movie, y'all. But there's a battle scene at some point, and Raju lets Beam win because he wants him to get the – Jenny is the name of that, the, the rich, white, British chick. And who kind of reminds me of Belle. She kind of looks like Belle from Beauty and the Beast. She would have made a decent Belle. Um, anyway, so there's that part where they're all dancing and stuff at this party, and I'm like, oh, my God. I would have been – like none of them have a drip drop of sweat. None of them. Not as, not even like a pit stain. I get a pit stain sitting on a bench outside. Jesus. And I, I'm not sure how the weather is in India, but I'm sure it's, it's definitely not cold. It's not cold. If you're dancing around, kicking your feet like you're trying to kill a thousand midgets coming at you at the same time. <laughs> 
you know, you're going to break a sweat. You just are. It's just the way it is. But nope, nobody sweats. I guess when you're uh, pretty much gods, uh, God don't sweat. So anyway, love the movie, love the music, love the music video. It's a whole damn music video at the end. Uh, Raju's fiance is absolutely gorgeous. I'm, I got to get that actress's name. I, I got to see the rest of her films. I want to see all her films. Her name's uh, Aaliyah Bhatt. Uh, she plays Sita. Um, and she's amazing. Anyway, so <laughs> so much else to go with that. <laughs> she looks about half the age of Raju, but hey, man, the guy's so attractive as hell. He's still pulling. He's pulling out. <laughs> it's... <laughs> Anyway, um, well, it's, you know, time for me to, oh, shit, it's time for me to do a quick impression. This is, <laughs> I totally forgot. This is the segment I like to call quick impressions. God damn it. What are we going to do? Quick impressions. It's a very big name, but I've memorized it. Don't call me Masab. It is Jenny, yes? That is, <laughs> that is the English dubbed <laughs> line. That Beam says to Raju uh, when he he is under the impression that Jenny's name is that entire thing because he doesn't know English. So he was just taking that whole sentence as her name. But her name's Jenny. Uh, by the way, don't trust the Jenny, according to Forrest Gump. That bitch will drag you to the ground, get AIDS, and leave you with her kid. What a bitch. Um, and as you know, I like to rate these movies by my favorite mustaches. You have the full Fu Manchu recommendation for hell yeah. You have the Wars mustache for pretty damn good. You have the horseshoe mustache for eh, not bad. And of course, the Dread of Hitler mustache for burn this fucking movie in a volcano and let the volcano explode and all that good stuff. But of course, you know, this movie gets the full Fu Manchu recommendation from Daniel J. Hell yes. I love this movie. Definitely give it a watch. There's not any, there's, there's no words. You just got to watch the film. Don't watch the English dub. That's what I was told. Just watch it. I think there's a. I think uh, Netflix has the Hindi uh, uh, dub, but the actual actors do voice the the the, the Hindi version. So at least you'll you know it. It's better. It's just better. Um, but if you can find the one in the native language, like fuck yeah, if it has a English dub, uh, or if you just happen to know the native language, Tulagu is that what was that what it was? <laughs> God damn it, memory is garbage. Anyway, so. Now that that's over, it's time for me to now, I'm going to go and start up uh, Crawl Space. So I recorded this, Crawl Space is from 1986, uh, if you've never, never heard of it, uh, it stars uh, one of the most notorious actors in Hollywood who is just an absolute monster human, and I don't mean that in a good way, the guy was an absolute monster, but we, we get into it a little bit in the episode. Um, the movie was made in 1986. I think I already said that. But yes, the monster actor, his name's Klaus Kinski. And I got to guest on 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 the Grindbin podcast for this. And get this. This was three years ago. Episode 197, March 19th, 2020. What a horrible time to be alive. March 19th, 2020. I think that was either right around or right before shit really hit the fan and with the pandy. The Pandy Express, choo-choo. <laughs> and I was in California. They were not fucking around with that shit. Man, they were making us walk around in full-bodied condoms. And and it's one of my favorite episodes I've ever been on. Um, it's just something about it. Uh, talking, it's, a, it's weird because I remember when I saw the film, I was thinking, 
oh, this is going to be kind of difficult to make f- kind of funny, you know, because the grind bin, we like to have fun. Uh, at least some of us do. Some of us don't know what fun is, but uh, I do. And I really wanted to bring the fun fun. And somehow we managed to pull it off. We say it's it's a great watch. The if you watch the if you watch Crawlspace though, don't watch it alone. Watch it with some friends. Throw it on. It's a good movie to just have on on in the background at a party or something like that because it's not it's not overly uh, grimy, but there's enough weird scenes to make it entertaining. Uh, Klaus Kinsey's face alone is perfect if you're having a Halloween party. That that's basically a mask over a, a skull. Like it's just insane. His face is bonkers. Uh, anyway, I hope you enjoy it. Here is episode 197 of the Grindbin Podcast, Crawl Space. Enjoy, sons of bitches. Hello and welcome to another episode of The Grind Bin. I'm Mike Wood. I'm Bobby Trippett. I'm Daniel Segura. And today we're talking about 1986's Crawl Space. Who's in the mood for a tequila milkshake? Hey Bobby, I got the money. So we should say, welcome to the Grime Bin. He is now, uh, I mean, if he appears again, which I don't know if he'll appear again. He might. Probably. Uh, he did a lot Klaus of exploitation Kinski stuff. making his Grime Bin debut in a movie, guys, recommended by one of our Patreon members. Thank you so much. Uh, mm-hmm. Klaus sorry, Kinski. <laughs> oh my God, Klaus himself from the grave. No, <laughs> thank you so much, Werner Herzog. <laughs> Gregory Freeman, thank you so much, so much for the Absolutely. Crawl Space recommendation. Um, I believe Gregory Freeman was the person who um, recommended Future Kill, Bobby. Fuck yes. And My you man. are a huge, huge Future Kill fan. I, at this point, I'm a huge Gregory Freeman fan. <laughs> yeah. Uh, this movie, uh, I don't know about you guys, but for me, this was... Um, I legitimately like this. Like, outside of the bin, I was like, oh, this is like a great little indie horror movie. I love it. Yeah, totally. I, I agree. I think I'm. I was actually kind of bummed out. I didn't watch this when I was younger because I probably would have liked it even more. I had the exact same feeling. Yeah, you would have just put on the makeup, turned on the uh, turned on the projector, and watched it in a dark room. Yeah, I would have started putting on my lipstick all over my face. <laughs> Chop yourself a banana and get ready. <laughs> yeah, yep. But this movie, guys, Crawl Space, written and directed by Dave, uh, David Schmoller. Now, he's got an interesting background, guys. I'm going to read a little bit of his uh, IMDb biography here. Raised and educated in Texas, David Schmoller began his career as a young playwright and was awarded the Texas Good Neighbor Scholarship for Studies in Mexico, attending Universidad de los Americas from 1967 to 1968. And guys, guess who he studied with down there? Who's that? Um, Alejandro Jodorowsky. The director of Holy Mountain and El Topo, 
mentored this man as well as famous legendary director Louis Bunel. So oh, wow. David Schmoller was literally taught by some of the best. On the shoulders of giants. The best of the best. Which you can really see, like, if you know this going into the movie, you can kind of see some of the influence. Yeah, surely. Especially with how, like, you know, the whole Russian roulette scenes and a lot of the... I mean, it's he's clearly a talented filmmaker. Honestly, yeah. Uh, uh, after a stint as an interpreter for ABC Sports during the 1968 Olympics in Mexico City, Schmoller returned to Texas and completed a master's program in radio TV film at the University of Texas in Austin. His thesis film, The Spider Will Kill You, in 1976, funded by a grant from the Directors Guild of America, received an Academy Award student film nomination in 1974. But guys, he lost out. And he lost out to that son of a bitch, Robert Zemeckis, for his <laughs> short film, A Field of Honor. What a cunt. I know. <laughs> Subsequently, under the auspices of the American Film Institute, with the funding from the Academy Motion Pictures of Arts and Sciences, Schmoller spent six months as an intern with writer-director Peter Hyams on the movie Capricorn One in 1977. Schmoller's first feature film, The Tourist Trap, in 1979, which he wrote and directed, is a favorite film of master storyteller and modern of modern horror Stephen King. This guy's had a hell of a career, man. Like, all sorts of people love his movies, like, mentored him, everything. Uh, his writing and directing credits include work on the highly praised television series James at 16. Now, you can say that. I've never heard of James at 16 from 1977, but apparently it's highly praised. As well as feature films The Seduction, 1982, for Embassy Pictures, and Crawl Space in 1986, Ghost Town in 1988, and Catacombs in 1988 for Empire Entertainment, and he is the creator of Puppet Master. Whoa, whoa. Yeah. Whoa. <laughs> he is currently, um, at the time of this writing, a associate professor of film production at the University of Nevada in Las Vegas. That's awesome. And Let's go that visit him. IMDb mini biography was written by <laughs> David Schmoller. <laughs> <laughs> now, Mike, I have a question. Um, when did he open Schmoller Ford? <laughs> Check out our Spanguli episode. Uh, it's not called a Spanguli episode. What the hell is that? It's some movie. We did it like, what, five <laughs> episodes Supersonic ago? Supersonic Man. There you go. Whatever. <laughs> uh, look, it's it's nearing in 200 movies I watch for this show. You gotta, you gotta forgive me if I don't remember the name of Supersonic Man. But I'll never forget Schmirler Ford. A few other movies David Schmoller directed. The Arrival in 1991 and Netherworld in 1992. And in a 2011 interview, David Schmuller claims that he wrote the first draft of Crawl Space as an anti-Vietnam War tale revolving around a returning vet who decides to recreate a prisoner of war camp in his attic. I heard Sylvester Stallone was going to reprise his role. <laughs> uh, he recounts, when I turned in the first draft, producer, welcome back to the grind bin, uh-oh, grind bin all-star producer Charles Band, Bobby, he's back of Empire Pictures, felt that America <laughs> was not ready for a Vietnam story. <laughs> now, this was right before right before Platoon was released. And he suggested that we make the protagonist... An so he was right. Yeah. <laughs> he suggested... Charles Mann suggested that we make the protagonist a Nazi. And I said, you don't think America's ready for a Vietnam story, but you do think they're ready to see yet another Nazi story. 
And Charles Band said, I'll get you Klaus Kinski. And David Schmuller responded, you get me Klaus Kinski, and I'll make it a Nazi story. And he got me Klaus. Wow. Because <laughs> you make anything a Nazi story. Yeah, you might as well get a real Nazi. Uh, Schmoller said that the second draft of this movie was specifically written for Klaus Kinski. And no other actors were even considered for the part. Um, so we will get into Klaus Kinski next, guys, who who is the real star of the show here. He plays Carl Gunther. Yeah. Now, Klaus Kinski, I have um, his biography here, and uh, you guys can chime in at various moments because uh, Klaus Kinski is uh, a really fascinating human being. Well, hold on, human being? You know how I've always said that artists aren't always great people? Well, I feel like the poster child for that claim is Klaus Kinski. Yeah, we're going to be uh, separating the art from the artist on this episode. Oh, boy. Well, why don't we start at the beginning, guys? He grew up in Berlin, and he was drafted in the German army in 1944, which makes Klaus Kinski a Nazi. Yeah, incidentally, specifically, he was a member of the, the Wehrnacht, which means he was a paratrooper. Yeah. They so, were dropping Klaus on people. Which is very troubling when we go further into this movie and realize, you know, he does that Heil Hitler a little too accurately. <laughs> I've certainly, see, I've I've certainly dropped There's a twinkle Klaus. in his eye. <laughs> <laughs> he was captured by British forces in Holland, um, and apparently he defected. Right, Bobby? Is that what the uh, story yeah, is? Yeah, bullshit. So the story here is... Uh, by the way, I should mention uh, the little detail about his capture is he's captured by, by those forces on day two. So he wasn't even good at it. But, uh, what well, a shitty I Nazi. I mean, we clearly know he had smeared lipstick all over his face and he was just wandering yeah. around. They were supposed to have coffee for him when he landed and he was mad that it wasn't there. And so he wasn't going to move until they brought him one. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, he claims that he defected and he was captured, like, wandering the woods. But, uh, there's no, uh, there's no record of that being true. <laughs> so full of shit. Yeah. What a fucking liar. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, I, I realized, you know, when I, when I touched down after I jumped out of that plane, I realized, uh, what am I doing? And I, I ran yeah. off into the woods to find myself. Do you feel like they just deserted him because even the Nazis couldn't stand being around Klaus? <laughs> they gave him bad directions on purpose? I mean, I'm serious, guys, once we get into the stories about him. Like, nobody likes this man. Nobody. Every person who's spent any significant time with him has wanted him dead. You know, that could have been a great tagline for Klaus's career. The only man the Nazis didn't want. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, um, and I, I hope I'm not getting ahead of your notes here, Mike, but that's no, no, where no, no. he got the acting bug. <laughs> when he was wandering out in the woods, uh, you know, until he defected. <laughs> yes, but also uh, they were putting on the, the POW camp, the, the prisoners in there were putting on little mini plays to entertain each other. And that was his first bit of actual acting was he... Uh, a bunch of Nazis trying to pass the time in a POW camp. <laughs> Man, there's nothing worse than, like, local Nazi dinner theater, you know? Ugh, yeah, I heard, uh, God. I heard he did a really good uh, lollipop kids dance. <laughs> he's just got the short shorts on and he's... <laughs> we represent. <laughs> they had plenty of shoes to put on their knees. <laughs> That was a dark joke. Apologies. That was, but that was good. You think he was pulling a door for... <laughs> yeah, his first acting was just doing dwarfin lists. Now look, I gotta tell you, Klaus Kinski has 137 credits, and I would not be surprised if he appeared in a dwarf short film. <laughs> like, I would not be surprised. 
um, so yes, but Bobby. Do, he, do go on, Mike. He started acting, and he then um, started acting in short films after uh, after a little bit. Uh, which he showed a, quote, utter disregard for the quality of the productions he appeared in. Uh, and he, according to this di- uh, biography, churned out so many that a complete filmography is almost impossible to assemble. Wow. Because there are just <laughs> films everywhere that Klaus Kinski has appeared in. Because there are countless productions where the crew doesn't want to talk about it. Yeah. However, he did turn out memorable work for director Werner Herzog... So, Werner Herzog and Klaus Kinski, Bobby, old-time friends. Yeah, known each other since they were 13, I believe was the age. Yeah, that's crazy. According to Werner, he did a whole documentary called My Best Friend, talking about their history with each other. Which is a very funny title, as we'll go on here. Uh, But Herzog and Kinski, uh, they, quote, pushed each other to the extremes over a 15-year working relationship, which finally ended after filming Cobra Verde in 1987, a production plagued by volcanic clashes between the star and the director, evolving, among other things, violent physical altercations and mutual death threats. Well, you know, one of my favorite stories from from Werner was he said in an interview on that My Best Friend that Klaus was such an egomaniac that a tree trimmer was preparing the landscape for a movie shoot. I think the Fitzcarraldo, and uh, he was sawing, kind of clearing out some brush for a scene, and a deadly venomous snake bites the dude twice in the leg. (laughs) And the the landscaper, he thinks for about five seconds and realizes, holy shit, I need to do something. He saws his own foot off. Oh my god! Yeah, because the nearest place where the the, where the antidote was is at the camp, which was about twenty minutes away, and he was going to be dead in about five minutes. So as this insane scene's going on, and he did live. Herzog knew that Klaus would start go like just go raving mad because at that very moment the attention would not be on him. He would be a <laughs> marginal figure in the chaos, and that would be just too much for him to handle. <laughs> Fantastic, real, cla- real class act, you know. Uh, I've I've got one as well. Oh please! Um, in '72, when they were record when they were working on uh, Agira, the Wrath of God, they were uh, along the Amazon River, and Klaus was. Uh, was just getting in the face of like a sound guy you know one of the crew members and was just like screaming at this person he's pulling a christian bail absolutely <laughs> I've been, been there done and that. uh <laughs> he stormed over to uh to verner and was like i demand that you fire this person and verner's like no i've been watching the whole argument you're you're the one who's wrong here i'm not doing that <laughs> you know oh, and, uh, oh, and he's like no. he's like no you're gonna fire him right now or i'm gonna fire him he's like you don't get to fire him you're just an actor on this thing <laughs> And uh, he goes, you know what? I'm going to walk. I'm going to walk. And uh, as the story goes, uh, Klaus got on a boat to take off down the Amazon. And uh, Werner chased after him and pulled a gun. <laughs> and uh, and said, here's how this is going to go. If you leave, I'm putting eight bullets in your head and then one in your heart. And nobody will arrest me because you're an escaped Nazi. So Yeah, you're a, you're a runaway Nazi. Yeah. I think he had told him he has eight bullets, and the ninth will be for himself, because, like, basically he was going to kill him and then kill himself. And no one's going to take me in for it. It's <laughs> so fucking baller, dude. I'll be damned if I'm going to do any time for your murder. <laughs> you know, and then the world that that happened, there would be somebody who made a documentary about that, a la Grizzly Man, and they wouldn't let you see the footage at the end. They'd be like, no, no, we can't. <laughs> so uh, Letterman had each of those guys on the show. 
to talk about that incident. <laughs> At the same time? No, no, no. Okay. Separate times for sure. And when he asked, uh, that's when we had the interview where he asked if uh, how well, he asked Klaus how well the two of them get along. And Klaus went, not at all. <laughs> like, we're not friends. <laughs> and uh, he asked him if that story was true. And the only thing that Klaus disputed was whether he had pulled the gun. <laughs> yeah. He's like, well, he didn't pull the gun out. <laughs> During that interview, he asks, he tells Letterman, like, um, I was supposed to have a coffee. Like, live on TV? <laughs> yes. He says this? Yeah. So during, then Letterman has the to go. <laughs> yeah, so Letterman has to go and ask the assistants to bring a fucking coffee. Because he can't do anything <laughs> without being difficult. Look, Letterman, he, he notoriously loves to have that shit happen on his show. Like, oh, yeah. He would oh, love yeah. difficult guests, and he would love oh, guests he was that were tickled when that happened. You could see so, it on his face. He was loving that moment. You know damn well that he told that guy, don't pour him a coffee. Yeah. Like, I want to piss him off. Yeah. <laughs> Genius. But guys, did you know that Klaus Kinsey actually directed and starred in a movie? Oh, my God. Uh, I do. 1989's Paganini. Uh, his his well. only film as a director... And guess what? It was, again, marked by clashes between uh, Kinski and somebody. This time it was and his producers. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> uh, trust me, he fought with himself. Uh, but the producers who accused him of, quote, turning their movie into a pornographic film. And they sued him in court. Holy now, shit. One one other detail about that, though, Mike, is it's it's also called Kinski Paganini. He threw his own fucking name in the title. <laughs> not, not Kinski's Paganini. As if the character's name was Kinski Paganini. You know I what? Think... I, I, oh, go for it. Go for it. Oh, I was going to say, I think that might need to appear on the bid. I might need to screen Paganini and see if this is worth <laughs> to put on the grind. To see bid. Klaus Kinski's take on a biopic? <laughs> I heard for the whole shoot, he was just, just kind of slowly jerking it, and he came in the last scene. <laughs> you know, he probably, like, you joke about it, but that's probably what he turned <laughs> in, and the producer's like, we can't release this shit. <laughs> I would love oh. to see that set brainstorming session. I'm just like, I want to adapt the life of Paganini. I bet he just <laughs> fucked nonstop. <laughs> yeah, he uh, was but he thinking he Caligula did. instead? Like, did he get the wrong guy? <laughs> <laughs> um, so apparently Klaus Kinski also, by the way, I'm going to get this on the old Kindle. He wrote an autobiography. <laughs> Uh, which was originally titled All I Need Is Love, which was a vicious attack Aww. on the film industry, which was withdrawn <laughs> for legal reasons, hmm. but was then later released as Kinski Uncut in the only two co uh, countries yeah. that'll allow it. It's like which Eddie is Murphy Raw. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I'm sure he's got, Look, I'm sure just like in Eddie Murphy Raw, he's got a bunch of gay jokes right in the beginning. You know, get him out early uh, so everybody knows it's 1980 when you made that. <laughs> Mike, did you read what the legal circumstances were that got it pulled? Oh, please, Bobby. His daughter uh, uh, sued him for libel. Oh, <laughs> shit. <laughs> she read the book and went, wait a minute. In his own autobiography? What a son of a it's bitch. Just like... <laughs> He's just like, yeah, he's just dragging his children in his autobiography. They're like, none of this shit happened. I feel like, you know, we got Rocco's book from Demon Cop, right? And it's just a series of him walking around saying all the famous people that he met. I bet Klaus oh. Kinski's is like kind of like that, but like this guy, fuck this guy, fuck that guy. <laughs> oh, God, his, his autobiography is just that dude quitting his job and half-baked. Yeah, yeah, I think it's just like Steven Spielberg. Fuck you, fuck real, you, you're cool. Yeah. 
Just he goes through the whole line, man. Everybody that ever worked in the film industry for like 30 years and calls them all sorts of great names. It's just called Kinski If I Did It. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, and then for some reason there's a lot of like bizarre uh, diary entries about how his father was a Nazi doctor and he moved to Argentina. It just kind of mixes in with his autobiography. It's really weird. I think he was working on it during this movie. I mean, maybe, right? That's probably what he was actually doing in the movie. <laughs> so, yeah, no, check out Kinski Uncut, guys, which uh, I'm definitely going to do. I can't wait to see Klaus's take on the industry. That IMDb mini biography, I'll give credit where credit's due, is uh, written by Michael Brooks. So thank you, Michael. So a little bit more about Klaus. Uh, he passed away in 1991, guys, at the age of 65. Good riddance. A couple other movies he was in, Dr. Zhivago, 1965, uh, Venus and Furs. Count Dracula in 1970 he was in uh, one of the many remakes of Count Dracula, but he played the character of Renfield, which nice. is got I gotta say a perfect role for Klaus Kinski, <laughs> right? Uh, and then Venom in 1981. I was gonna I was gonna say a few more of his roles actually that he's known for. Most famously, 1979's Nosferatu, mm-hmm. but, which is probably his his most famous role he ever did. Uh, my favorite one is uh, I believe it was 72 it was a spaghetti western called The Great Silence. Shit, I haven't seen where, that one. Uh, it's dope. It's where uh, Tarantino got a couple of his ideas from that one. Nice. Uh, the uh, Western taking place in the wintertime, first of all, and then a character who uh, survived a hanging and has the scar around his neck. Fuck yeah. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, The Great Silence is about a, uh, a, a gunslinger who can't speak because he survived a hanging, and uh, he goes he goes head-to-head against Klaus and his boys. Klaus plays a, uh, plays a real baddie going through town, a guy named Loco. <laughs> And uh, was it uh, if you've ever seen the remake of 310 to Yuma, uh, Ben Foster's character is basically doing an homage to that performance. Oh, okay. Wow. Cool, cool. It's uh, a dope movie. This is where we're going to start a little bit more interesting trivia about Klaus, guys. The director, in a uh, recent written interview, actually, was asked about working with Klaus Kinski, and David Schmoller said, uh, "Oh, I have lot of I have a lot of stories about directing him. I don't know if I can get away with saying those things for print." that I would really want to say he's really out of control as a human being and that creates lots of problems on the set he would show up or he wouldn't show up or he would leave or he would just well he got into fist fights with the crew from the very first day it was sad because he really does have a lot of talent and ultimately did give himself to the role but he just made it very unpleasant for everybody and David Schmoller had a lot of trouble directing Klaus Kinski on the set of this movie, guys. For example, Klaus refused to listen to basic commands such as action and cut. Apparently, he would just fucking start rolling himself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a. Uh, Schmoller talks about this in the short documentary that he made called "Please Kill Mr. Kinski." It's uh, it's about it's basically just a, an eight-minute interview with some uh, behind-the-scenes footage to back up his stories. And uh, he talks about this and how he'd go out there. And he, by the way, that thing about uh, fistfights is actually, according to Schmoller, he got into six fistfights in the same day with the crew. Yeah, it says six within the first three days. Oh, sorry, within the first three days. That's so literally any, any crew member that even looked in his eyes, he'd throw a punch at him <laughs> immediately. <laughs> he's uh, just like, I don't like, the boom guy looked at me, so I socked him in the mouth. He's like, hey, Mr. K- Mr. Kinski, we just need to get your level. Oh, God! <laughs> And so, 
the way this uh, refusal to take basic commands went down, and they play the audio to show what he's talking about, is he'd go, okay, you know, he'd do all the setups, you know, roll sound, camera, all that stuff, and then he'd go, action, and suddenly Klaus would slap his hands on the sides of his own face like Kevin McAllister and just let out a big scream. <laughs> he was he'd home go, alone, okay, man. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Yeah, he just ah! and he go every time I work with these fucking directors, it's always action, action, action. I'm so sick of people saying action. And you know, Schmuller would be like, uh, "Okay, Klaus, uh, what would you like me to say?" <laughs> and he goes, "I'll tell you what, Klaus, I'm just gonna say Klaus." And then you know, he, he and he'd do it, and uh, he go, "Okay, you know, roll sound, roll camera, everything." And Klaus. Ah! <laughs> And you go, what now? He's like, oh, it's always Klaus this, Klaus that. And he was just like, I will go when I am ready to go. Yeah, okay. You know, and, uh, you know, they'd start filming. Oh, and then uh, at the end of the scene, he, the director would go, cut. And then, ah! And the oh same thing as, as expected. He's just like, it's always cut, 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 cut. He's like, okay, what do you want me to say instead of cut, Klaus? He goes, don't say anything. I will finish when I am done. <laughs> and uh like he did as Pagadini. what this led to and the reason that the uh exactly <laughs> uh the reason the documentary was called what it was called was one of the italian producers uh when he was discussing this because he would call all the time with the, you know the, the financiers and the studio and be like i can't work with klaus kinski we got to get him off this project but of course klaus kinski was a famous name and he was kind of what was giving them the funding was that this was going to be a Klaus Kinski movie, so they couldn't remove him. Yeah, this is a and Charles Italian, Band production. Uh, We're working with a small budget, man. Yeah, basically, <laughs> we lose Klaus, and uh, we ain't got no movie. <laughs> so if you want to make this film, you have to work with Klaus. And he's like, all right, you know. And uh, one of the Italian producers proposed an idea, and uh, he said, you know, we could have him killed and collect the insurance. Ed Schmuller was like, yeah, we're not putting out a hit on Klaus Kinski. <laughs> yeah, apparently he but, didn't uh, think that producer was kidding either. No, no, no. <laughs> and I don't think anyone else did either because that word got around with the crew. And that's where the title comes from is as the as the shoot progressed, people kept coming up to Schmuller and going, please kill Mr. Kinski. <laughs> please, please just, just, just kill him. Like, as we said earlier, everyone who ever met him wanted him dead. The entire crew was constantly begging the, the director every chance they could pull him aside for a second and go, take the offer. You know, take the shot. I mean, that's why, that's why I love the 80s. It was just so much easier to kill people, man. <laughs> yeah, you want yeah. a dead, you want a dead Kinski? No problem, man. <laughs> we got this. Everybody wants a dead Kinski. That's going to cost you. <laughs> Uh, apparently, did you hear the story about how he was very unhappy with all the wardrobe, so he demanded that they buy him a whole new set of clothes and all sorts of things, and he went and bought it himself and charged the cost of the film production, uh, and then he just kept the clothes. Yep. <laughs> that sounds like him. Really, just a, just a legendary piece of shit, this guy. Well, David Schmuller also said that... The only way he could kind of rein Klaus in was that he had a crush on one of the young female actresses of the movie, uh, and he would always be polite and on his best behavior when she was around, so David Schmuller begged her to stay on set as long as possible so that Kinski would just, like, you know, be on his best behavior and try to hit on her. <laughs> oh, God, oh, yeah. it's so and, bad. Uh, and, and that scans, because there was an incident back in his earlier acting days in the 50s where he developed a similar crush on a uh, the director of a play he was working on. Uh, it was either the director or one of his castmates, 
But uh, that ultimately, and this is not funny, uh, it led to him trying to strangle her. Jesus. Because because she didn't feel the same way about him, of course. And uh, so that was... ended up being an issue. And that led to him being uh, briefly institutionalized. And he's actually a diagnosed psychopath. <laughs> and for some reason, we still gave him movie roles. Well, it was the 80s, man. Hollywood was a <laughs> lot different, dude. I mean, they like... probably just thought he was on cocaine. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's fortunate that at least nowadays we're living in a time where if a man uh, possesses some kind of talent, we don't overlook the horrible things about him. No, no, it has definitely changed. But that's only changed in like the past five years, to be honest. Yeah, it's pretty recent. (laughs) Yeah, that definitely doesn't happen anymore, right, guys? Yeah, definitely (laughs) never. If he he has something to offer us in terms of entertainment, we'll look the other way about all the horrible things he does. Yeah, Yeah, I mean, I've had had a couple of coworkers tell my boss to kill me, but other than that... Anyway, I'm going to play this Chris Brown song real quick while we take a break. (laughs) (laughs) Could you imagine, like, the scariest thing on earth would be if Klaus Kinski had a crush on you. Like, I couldn't (laughs) imagine. I mean, it really, I mean, half this movie kind of puts that into perspective. God, you imagine his courting rituals? You think he just walked around with a switchblade and a metal ball and was just tapping it? I think he just hands you a bottle of lotion. He says, do something. (laughs) God, man. Well, <laughs> we should say one more thing before we move past Klaus Kinski. Bobby, take it away. What's he? Uh, what's he also known for? <laughs> so, um, it was revealed. Uh, I think it was after his death. They talked about this. That uh, well, there's just no delicate way to put this. Nope. He uh, he molested his daughters. Oh boy. They, at least according to them. But I believe them. With everything else about Klaus, there's definitely no reason to doubt them. Oh, yeah. Uh, Yeah. It's also telling that when Klaus did die in, I think, 91, uh, I believe, of a heart attack, uh, almost nobody came to his funeral. Only his son did. Apparently, the director of this movie said it was karma that he died. That was in his obituary. Oh, yeah. Like, when he he died, almost everybody who knew him was like, serves him right, the son of a bitch. (laughs) Yeah, I'm not surprised, Um, man. Everyone lined up to spit on his grave. But, yeah, he had four or five children, and only one of them actually came to his funeral. I'm telling you, when when the the lowest of the low die they still get their you know ah uh, you know the good things that he did type of moment in the first hour that they die not kinsky in his fucking obituary somebody said he deserved it mm-hmm. <laughs> can you imagine living a life for when you die your obituary says serves you right yeah so here's you klaus a true garbage human being that uh gives quite the performance in this movie crawl space so. good job you piece of shit yeah <laughs> i mean we, we we love your work and we're glad you're dead yeah yeah <laughs> so why do we get to the other people guys all uh, right ta- let's do this talia balsam who plays laurie bancroft in this movie guys um, quite a few credits. Uh, Mass Appeal in 1984 with Jack Lemmon, The Kindred in 1987, In the Mood 1987, which is a movie starring Patrick Dempsey and Beverly D'Angelo, and then a movie in 1989 called Trust Me that I've never heard of, but it stars Adam Ant. Really? Who did, what's it about? Do you have the do you have the blurb in front of you? You know, I read. Let me hold on. It's not interesting because usually, yes, I would mention a movie like that but it was just one of those one line imdb descriptions it's called trust me 1989 an art dealer murders one of his artists in hopes of increasing the market value of his work why that sounds great and it's directed written and directed by robert houston and it stars adam ant and talia balsam robert houston from hills have eyes oh 
Yeah. That's hmm. pretty cool. Um, she was also in Cold-Blooded in 1995, which is like maybe the only movie that ever starred Jason Priestley. Uh, and then she was in, guys, if you ever watch the show Mad Men, um, she actually plays the wife, uh, Mona Sterling, of uh, Roger Sterling in the show, which is one of the original owners of that company. Once I saw her in this movie, I was like, oh, my God, it's like definitely striking. It's definitely her. Uh, much younger in this movie, uh, but it was interesting to see her. Barbara Winnery, who plays Harriet Watkins. Guys, 31 credits. Hamburger the Motion Picture in 1986. Miracles in 1986, where she plays the character of the hooker. And, <laughs> oh. And that stars Grindman All-Star Paul Rodriguez from the Whoopi Boys. Oh, no. Paul Rodriguez having to act alongside a character named the hooker. Yeah, I think we know what happens. Uh, and then she was in St. Elsewhere, the TV series, uh, for 31 episodes as the character of Dr. Kathy Martin. And then, uh-oh... Uh-oh. Guys, what? we got a griping all star on our hand in for this one of film? the worst for one of the worst fucking movies that ever appeared on the grind bin, Stewardess School. Oh, oh I'm gonna Stewardess take a, I'm just gonna take a shot. Where she where she plays the character of Gushy Woman. <laughs> God can I get another uh, tequila milkshake? <laughs> and then she's in one of my favorite Bobcat Goldwaite movies The sentence never said 1988's Hot to Trot Oh yeah, did she play the horse? Look, she doesn't play Well, we know who plays the horse Look, if you don't know anything about Hot to Trot It will never be on the grind bin But Hot to Trot is an amazing movie about Bobcat Goldwaite And a, a horse who can pick stocks Now the thing with that movie is The horse was originally Elliot Gould and then they realized it sucked, but they didn't refilm the movie. They just redid the horse's dialogue with John Candy. And so <laughs> wow. the whole movie is Bobcat acting against different dialogue. That's amazing. It's an amazingly bad movie, <laughs> but it's even weirder when you realize that everything that horse is saying, Bobcat has no idea. Like, it's all it's all different. None of that is what the wow. horse actually said in that moment. No, no, because Elliot Gould sucked it up so bad, they had to replace it with Judge is that Vader. Is that what they did with James Earl Jones as Darth Vader? <laughs> yeah. It was originally Elliot Gould. <laughs> Man, Elliot Gould constantly being taken out of movies because he sucks so hard. <laughs> uh, so, guys, um, the last bit of trivia I have about this movie is that the sets were all reused from Troll in 1986. Oh, <laughs> gosh. <laughs> so, guys, uh, unless you have anything else, we'll get into the I, movie. I, I do have one last uh, Klaus Kinski bit that I read. Was that uh, He was offered like the lead villain role in Raiders of the Lost Ark. But uh, sent Spielberg a Were letter. Were they like, we want a real Nazi to play the Nazis? I mean, <laughs> I, God, I guess damn. that's why they found him. They're like, you know who? You know who would probably play a Nazi really well is that Klaus Kinski. Uh, <laughs> but he read the script and then sent a scathing letter to uh, Spielberg about what a piece of shit this movie was. Oh my God! Wow, especially I, with the things he was in, that he yeah. would have the balls to say that. I just want to say he just didn't want to be around Spielberg. I'm not going to huh. say why. I'm just, I just, wonder. Yeah. Just you think he, he has like, any takes about Spielberg in his book? For some reason, he immediately thought that Spielberg was a no-talent hack. <laughs> I just want to say, I want to say thanks for putting me back on for a horror movie that features some of my favorite things. A creepy old guy antagonist, blow darts, mm -hmm. eyeballs, and a nail. Now, we should say this, <laughs> uh, Daniel, that 
this movie, um, I did not intend for this. I asked you to be on the show again. Uh, it is so similar to Blood Sucking Freaks <laughs> in so many ways. Uh, it's like a high bar, like a high class uh, Blood Sucking Freaks, I'd say. I, I totally agree with that, actually. Yeah. <laughs> Bobby's speechless. So. <laughs> I, I didn't think I'd ever have to go back. <laughs> oh, yeah. We're dragging you back in. When he pulled out that blow dart. You, the similarities were uncanny, right? Dude, I got cancer gamortis <laughs> when I saw that blow dart come out, man. So we might as well say it right now. David Schmoller, you hack. <laughs> <laughs> so, guys, we open up on a large house. A woman walking up the stairs. Well, it's an apartment building. We, a woman's walking up the stairs with a flashlight in her hand. The place looks unfamiliar to her. Is she looking around for something or someone? She walks into a dark room and she asks for Mr. Gunther. She flicks on her flashlight to reveal rats and cages, and I don't know if you see it—a little, little blink if you miss it—a metal metal swastika. Oh, mm. which is made from saw blades, which was, you know, what Klaus is doing in his spare time, I guess. Yeah. Uh, the door shuts Tinkering behind in her. The garage. Yeah. yeah, the door shuts behind her. An electronic-looking device silently locks the door behind her, and that's Uh-oh. when she notices a lady in a cage. Uh oh. Then. The lights turn on, and Klaus is there, and he has that look like he's he's trying to flirt with her. Oh, I'm sure that, this is one of his that class game. <laughs> Do you think he picked like, up in the Werenacht. like that poor girl that he liked on set? He invited her to her tra- his trailer, and it was a lot like this. It was exactly like in, this. There's a silent lock. Comes out of the darkness. There's someone in a cage, and he goes, <laughs> "It's a shame. I really liked you." As she impales her with the giant metal spike that he's built. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Man. The first line he says is, she can't talk, I cut her tongue out. About the woman <laughs> in the cage. And then they cut okay. to a uh, a comically oversized tongue in a jar. Like, <laughs> there's no way that tongue would fit inside that person's head. No, we should say Daniel. That's like Venom's it's, tongue. <laughs> it's amazing, Daniel, that you were able to interpret what Klaus says. <laughs> He mumbles his way through this movie oh, like you yeah. wouldn't believe. I was going to say, this guy speaks under his fucking breath the whole movie. It pisses me off. And you know that they were like, should we tell him to, to speak a little louder? And the director's like, don't do whatever you do. Don't say anything to him. Just let him go. <laughs> I felt like if you told Klaus Kinski to turn it up a little bit, he would just get quieter. Or maybe he'd just not talk at all. <laughs> he would just start <laughs> miming. Yeah. He'd do like a chaplain routine through the rest of this movie. <laughs> uh, so then we cut to Klaus in his room. After that, lady's just like impaled on a long ass spike, right? Yep. It's a huge, huge spike. Um, we cut to Klaus in his room. He's loading a gun with bullets. He coats one of them in his own blood. Now, would that would that fuck up the gun? Jamming it up with your own blood? Can we talk to Sean about this? Yeah, you know, I don't know anything about guns, but uh, I assume it's fine. You know. Maybe after a few times, like after like the tenth time, you might get a you know a lodged gun. Well, maybe that's why it never goes off. You know. Yeah, it might be helping him. But you know, uh, because uh, he loads one bullet in the chamber, he gives it a little spin and uh, he puts it right up to his temple and he pulls the trigger and he says, "So be it." Because uh, as his as his buddies in Russia would say, it like Russian roulette. <laughs> and I love this is that he flips over the side and it says "apartment for rent." And so then we it. go on to these credits that go on forever. It's like half the movie. 
I will say I do like the fact that the movie gets going right away, but then you get these long ass credits. <laughs> so like they totally ruined the, the 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 momentum that you had going exactly. in. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. But this movie, when they show the credits, it looks like we're going down a hallway almost, right? But we Endlessly. then learn this is like the vents in this apartment building. Yeah. They are so goddamn big, dude. It's like the freaking vents from Jurassic Park. Yeah, yeah they're, they're huge. And they're like made of animantium, I think. I mean, did Troll take place in a bunch of vents or something? Like, I didn't see that movie, so I don't know. I've only seen Troll 2, which people has nothing only ever to do watch with part Troll. Two. Part 1 yeah. is just a bunch of people squirming down vents. Oh my god! <laughs> now, a uh, little bit of trivia here. This, uh, this character Klaus is playing is named Carl Gunther. And uh, as the woman is calling out his name at the beginning when she's walking in. So I'm not spoiling anything. But uh, where they got that name is that uh, Klaus's actual middle names are uh, Gunther Carl. Huh. Oh, shit. Just, I just want you to know that this character he's playing is based on him. So it's him. This is it's just, just him. him. He's playing it, himself yeah. in this movie. Klaus Kinski actually was just a landlord. <laughs> oh, just like Hannibal <laughs> Burris. Unfortunately, all these girls just mysteriously died in the apartments that he would rent, but uh, nobody ever caught him. We then cut to him watching a woman through her window, which... Or we watch a woman through a window, right, guys? Yeah. Uh, and then we cut to a man lighting a cigarette, and he's watching her from the yeah. outside, right? And he creeps up to her window as she undresses more. She doesn't just undress. Cut... Okay, please. She, you know, she strips down until she's in, a, you know, lingerie, her underwear, and uh, then she grabs a pair of scissors and she she cuts little uh, nipple windows in her bra. Yeah, that seven, was so weird. Seven minutes in, baby. <laughs> Yeah, that seemed like a Charles Band note. He was like, you got to get them in early. And he's like, this is not really that type of movie, Charles. And he's like, a balled up napkin came soaring into the into the shot. <laughs> they opened it up. It said titty window. <laughs> titty window. Yeah, yeah, that was what it was, was he says, look, I'll get you Klaus Kinski and you have to make the movie. But there's going to be one condition and I'm going to write it in a special envelope. And it's kind of like supermarket sweep. Like when you get to the set of the movie you're gonna have a little envelope and you're gonna have to open it and whatever is in there you gotta put in the put it in the movie and that note was titty window (laughs) (laughs) two words baby (laughs) so he puts it in uh it's very odd uh then we get to klaus and guys this son of a bitch has one up on that creeper from the window doesn't he (laughs) best angle in the house (laughs) (laughs) it's like the uh what's that meme with the cat in the office You know that one. <laughs> yeah, that the one, the one where there's a where there's a cat like up in the ceiling. I think it's called ceiling cat. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just gonna let you keep going. Yeah, keep going. Yeah. Look, I'm just Describe, saying. What does the I'm, cat look like? What color? <laughs> we do a time jump to like <laughs> ten minutes from now, and I'm just like, all I'm saying is Klaus had some good ideas. <laughs> But yeah, you're right, Daniel. Best view of the house, huh? Right? Yeah. He's got the real courtside seats here, man. <laughs> because Klaus is up in the vent just watching her fr- from up there, right? Um, and then she hears something, right? And both Klaus and the creeper get really quiet because they're like, oh, what was that? And she sneaks to the door of this other room. She heard something, guys, but she opens it and it's just an open window. But then from behind, she's grabbed. And guys, it's the guy from the window. The creeper's there. No. Yeah. And and he pulls a knife on her, and he tosses her on the bed. I'm like, oh, boy, this is going to start out uh, interesting. And then, guys, it's revealed they're called fetishes. You know? 
Don't. I don't want to kink shame anybody. <laughs> the, apparently, her thing is that she needs to be watched from the window by a, by her boyfriend, and she also needs to cut holes in her bra. And then she wants him to sneak inside and pretend to like rape her, I guess, which is their thing. The yeah. the best thing is that that guy's name is Hank Storm. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> But this is apparently what they like to do, right, guys? And she says, she says the joke, you know, I prefer next time you use the door instead of the window. I'm like, well, then there's, what's the excitement in that? You know? <laughs> uh, but then this is really weird is that we watch them have sex, but this is maybe my favorite sex scene in the grind bin so far, is that it's just a guy struggling to finish. Oh, it's the best, man. I well, actually, he's he was he was gonna finish, but she yeah. was telling him, though, hey, pull back the reins, pull back." See, he didn't have an older brother to teach him to say "Lucky Charm" seven times, and that's his fault. Yeah, and he's like, "Uh, uh, uh," and she's like, "No, pull it back. Think of something else, sports or something." And then he's like, "Eh, I can't do it." He thinks anyway. of Alaskan. He says Alaskan zombies. <laughs> Alaskan <laughs> zombies, and that made his dick soft. <laughs> and he just rolls over, and he's done for the night. Yeah. It was yeah. a very, like, I actually enjoyed that sex scene. Yeah, that was pretty <laughs> it was hilarious. very weird. Uh, and then some, I call him, I call him Sweater Boy. Uh, this man just comes up to Klaus's door to see the vacant apartment. And uh, Klaus opens the door finally. And he's like, hey, I'm here to see the apartment. And Klaus goes, yes, Ranty. That's actually, <laughs> that's actually Schmoller. Oh, yeah, is this Schmoller? Yeah, that's yeah. actually Schmoller. Oh, yeah. the Sweater that's Boy Schmoller. son of a bitch. Which is... <laughs> Which is why when the door closes, he leans in and just goes, creep. Well, he does, yeah. And then you think this is how Schmoller exited the set every day? Is that uh, another yeah. woman, Lori, is walking down the hallway, and he just fucking bumps into her, her books go flying, and he just walks on out without saying a word. Yeah, that really takes me back to my college <laughs> days. That's how you got him, huh? Yep, every time. <laughs> that, that was the move. Oh, by the way, by the way, I um, at that moment I was like, "Is this Sally Jesse Jesse Raphael really young?" Because she had like these red glasses on. <laughs> oh, <laughs> sorry. Go ahead, man. What a twisted web that would be, right? <laughs> uh, so this woman, Lori, she knocks on the door and she wants to see if the apartment's uh, still vacant. And he goes, "Yes." Do you want to see? And she's like, "Yeah, sure." And then uh, he opens it up and. Klaus immediately starts creeping on her by going like, the way he acts is so bizarre. Like, he has not combed his hair in weeks. And he just kind of, like, maneuvers really close to people. And he's, like, almost sniffing her. Yeah, it's the worst. Like, his hair basically looks like when you put on, put on a wig around Halloween and it's been in a plastic bag for, like, eight months. And it's just kind of, you put it on and it's just a fucking mess. As a, as a cosplayer, this speaks to me. <laughs> Uh, and he's just like, no way he's going to comb it, right? It's just, mm -hmm. it, that's how he showed up to set, right? Goddamn creeper. Uh, so he's like, <laughs> kind picture of like, Klaus Kinsey screaming, it's always brush, brush, brush. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what happened when the the makeup person tried to brush his hair? He punched him in the face. So That was it. That was one of the six. Yeah. <laughs> that was it. So Klaus then unlocks the door. He goes outside and he's like, oh, are you famous? You look like somebody I would have seen before. And she's like, no. And he goes, well, you have a face I wouldn't forget. So creepy. Like, okay, I guess I still want that apartment. Uh, so then there's these two girls watching from down the hall, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this is amazing. Is that they then comment about how Klaus always rents to the pretty girls. And then one of the girls goes, I wonder what his dark secret is. 
And I go, I think you're you're onto it, lady. Also, she's probably the most like like I don't know, like the most instinctful Southern Belle I've ever like she's she's so like, what's going on with him? <laughs> like what the fuck? <laughs> She like she knows there's red flags, and she's like, "It's so strange that he always rents to these really pretty ladies that they're only here for like a week." <laughs> Incredibly into it. What do you think his dark secret is? And they're like, "Eh, whatever." Uh, so then Lori loves the apartment, guys, and she she even comments to Klaus, which you know, I feel like Schmoller put this in the script just to piss him off because she goes, <laughs> "You know, I used to live across the hall from a guy I swear was a vampire." Totally, yeah. Yeah, that was something. And you just kind of see his face like, hey, cute one. And he goes, well, I show you, no vampires here. And then she goes, uh, well, do you have a problem renting to college students? Because I'm a college student. And then he gets, like, I guess so bored that he turns on the fucking burner and yeah. places his hand over it. And He's... he goes, yeah, go ahead. <laughs> He's all, uh, will you say yes? <laughs> Will you? <laughs> it's like I almost wondered. I'm like, did he just do this? Like, is he, like, was he so fucking pissed at the scene? He was like, I'm gonna end it. Like this guy, you know, he may not call cut today, but I'm gonna turn on this burner and burn my own fucking hand if this girl doesn't get through this goddamn scene. Yeah, there were like 500 more words of dialogue, <laughs> and so he just lit his hand on fire. As he's just like, you say yes, you say yes. She's like, yeah, uh, yeah sure. And he's like, okay, <laughs> scene done. <laughs> This is when, though, I was like, I fucking love this movie. <laughs> this, is, this is incredible. Uh, so then we collect the Klaus upstairs right in his journal. Guys, his journal is some wild stuff, man. So this is the uh, beginning of All I Need is Love by Klaus Kinski. This is um, the epilogue. Uh, he writes, he used to kill in the name of science. Now he kills because he's addicted to killing. And it's the only way he can feel alive. And then he kind of chums it up with the lady in the cage for a while, right? His own his own personal Nell. Yeah, he gives he gives his Nell a little bit of clam chowder. She doesn't like Just, it too much. Which he force feeds to her, and I'm almost like, I'm wondering if he was supposed to do that. Because he does it in a way where the actress is just very taken aback. Yeah, he should have given her a hot dog. <laughs> you know, I bet he brought one of those bananas to set, Daniel. And the director's <laughs> like, no, no, no. <laughs> He starts telling the lady of the cage, he's like, you know, a long time ago, my dad, he sent my mom and I to Argentina where I began medical practice. And he's, he's feeding her this clam chowder, right? And then the lady passes him a note. He reads it and it says, please on one side and kill me on the other. And he laughs and he goes, I can't kill you. Who'd I talk to? My whole thing is she has access to a pen. Kill yourself. Yeah. You know, that's a good point. <laughs> Also, I really loved how she wrote it on two sides. Like, she wrote, please, and it's like, fuck, I can't fit the whole note. She's poetic that way. <laughs> uh, so then the neighbor girl, right, uh, the the one before who thinks Klaus has a dark Southern, secret. Southern Belle. Tries to hit on Klaus. <laughs> she totally does. This is so Terrible weird. taste. Is that she's, like, got all these groceries in her hand. She's like, oh, Mr. Klaus, can you hold these for me? And he's like, okay, fine. And then he holds the, the groceries and she's like, oh, okay, I just need to get my keys. And she goes, why don't you come on in for a glass of wine? He's like, Ooh. he's like, I don't drink. It's toxic to body. <laughs> <laughs> and 
and you know we you, everybody probably thinks we're playing up with how how we're saying his lines no he really says them like this yes. that's pretty much a spot-on impersonation <laughs> And she's like, come on, everybody's got to have some sort of vice. And he's like, eh, eh. And she goes, come on, I mean, drugs, women. And I don't know exactly what he says, but does he say something like he hates women? No, he, he says, uh, he says, I had women, okay? It didn't work out. But in, in Klaus' voice. <laughs> because he just says that as he's walking off set. Like, yeah, he's, he's literally walking <laughs> off set. He goes, I had women. He just, like, turns like, around. Okay, uh, Klaus, can we do another take? Oh, he's gone. <laughs> there All he right. is. Door's closed. <laughs> he's in his car now. Bye. Uh, so this is what I love, guys. All the female tenants in the building have a little dinner party. Oh, this oh, is I wish my neighbors did that. <laughs> this is my fav- one of my favorite scenes, to be honest. Okay, well, we get introduced to Jessica, who's a famous soap opera actress. I will just call her soap opera for the rest of the movie, because she'll only appear in one other scene, I believe. Yep. Daniel, they got some mixed drinks at this party. Woohoo! <laughs> what do they got in this thermos that they're passing around the table? Well, you know, Southern Belle, I forget her name. <laughs> she She's created quite the concoction. She's created... Some te- a tequila milkshake, which you know, once I heard that, I felt every dead Mexicano turn in their grave. <laughs> <laughs> now they are serving it in like. Do you guys remember when like you would buy the Hidden Valley Ranch that came in like a seasoning packet, and then you could like shake it in that bottle? Does yeah. anybody remember that? Uh, yes. You know, now that you say that, yes. Totally. Yeah, right. Like for some reason, it was like, look at that. We made the ranch instead of just buying it. It tastes the same, but, like, check it out. We made it. <laughs> it's a good they... way to clean yourself out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just make your own ranch, you know? Uh, and apparently they're great also for tequila milkshakes. So. <laughs> yeah, It's fucking terrible, dude. <laughs> well, I love Harriet in this scene. Cause, so Harriet's the Southern Belle, right? I think. I'm just going to call her. I didn't know she had a name. I just called her neighbor because she really only appears in one other scene other so, than this. Yeah. So in this scene, she's she's kind of talking about how none of her relationships pan out. And she says, every time I stop sleeping with it, start sleeping with a guy with any sort of regularity, he disappears on me without so much as a bit nice knowing you, Harriet. But I got to be moving on. And then she, she goes on to her latest her latest dude. And we were just starting to get good at it when we just when he just up and whoosh gone like a fart in the storm. <laughs> that was the best. I love that part. Dialogue of this movie, absolutely incredible. <laughs> like bravo, Schmoller, bravo. Oh, cheers. Uh, so this is when it gets to cartoon levels of craziness because Klaus yeah. again best seats in the house, right? He's sitting up top at his vent watching the dinner party. And then he has this remote control where he has like a Tom and Jerry sized mouse hole that appears. <laughs> <laughs> like, this is nuts, right? Like, you only ever see this in cartoons is that there's a mouse hole that appears at the floorboard of the wall. Yeah, this yeah, this was when I definitely I felt like maybe he was Peter McAllister's grandfather. I mean, he's got, like, traps all over the place, right? <laughs> yes. He opens up the little trap door with his remote, and then this rat comes in. It ruins the dinner party, and Klaus just gets a good chuckle. 
Like, never mind the McAllisters. This is some Pee Wee's Playhouse shit. <laughs> totally. Like, I was expecting, like, a dope-ass robot, and it's a fucking rat. <laughs> I, thought, I at least expected the rat to be dressed like a Nazi. <laughs> I mean, look, you let Klaus on set one more day, you don't know what would have happened, dude. That's he was true. sewing little Nazi hats for him and everything. <laughs> <laughs> he made the whole SS out of Nazis, and, and Schmoller was like, yeah, I don't think so, dude. And made him put on little plays. <laughs> oh, my God. He had his own little POW camp for him. You know, that's the curtain cage. You remember later <laughs> in the movie? Yeah. Those were Klaus's personal rats, guys. Oh, man. So then they all laugh, and Klaus laughs. They all get, like, a good belly laugh out of the rat root in the, the dinner party. Uh, and then Lori's falling asleep, guys, while she's studying in her apartment, and she hears some weird noises from the vent, and she just runs upstairs to get Klaus, and she knocks on his door. He doesn't answer. She knocks again, and then an arm appears, and he grabs her from behind. It's Klaus! Man, he grabs her like Biden, baby. <laughs> you know, when when everybody says, like, Biden grabbed him, do you think it's like this? Like, they have rats in the walls, and they come upstairs, and he just Uncle Joe's them from behind? Yeah, he's like, let me help you. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, the old Diamond Joe. Oh god, you gotta love him. This is great. Is that she goes, uh, Klaus? Can you come down and check on my apartment? And he's like, Then you come in. She's like, excuse me. She's like, What? Excuse me. <laughs> and she's uh-huh. like, Um, no, I, 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 there's a weird sound in my apartment. I'm actually, I'm probably gonna go to bed. And he's like, This mama. She's like, okay, well, there's the sound downstairs. And he goes, oh, it must be the rats. And she's like, well, is there something you could do about it? And then he just kind of mumbles and walks away. She's like, oh, I don't know. And she's like, oh, okay. By the way, great move as a landlord. Just mumble and walk away when somebody's like, can you do something about those rats? That's what I plan on doing. He's like, oh, you mean the Uber mouse? <laughs> So Klaus is now in the attic with uh, his cage girl, right, is Nell. And he goes, uh, he reveals that his his father was a Nazi doctor who killed Jewish people in concentration camps. And he learned this, guys, by reading his father's journal. And my immediate thought was, man, I wonder how those journal entries start. Yeah. Like, gotta be some crazy shit, right? Yeah. <laughs> totally. Uh, so then I want to hear, like, Klaus explains it all. <laughs> right because i'm like do you just start off by talking about the killings or do you kind of like preamble for a little bit like uh let me tell you you know wait he's got to talk about the girl he saw in the hallway that's what i'm thinking right does it just go immediately into the death or i will say he's the most self-reflective serial killer i've ever heard of like ever seen ever it is kind of interesting how he like clearly knows he has a problem, but yeah. he's like, "Bank gonna do nothing about it." It's so weird. He's like, oh, I "Cut their tongue off," and oh, yeah. I, you know, I'm a killer. I love. I have God complex. And he goes, "But it's okay. All Dad's fault. So no problem. <laughs> it's is uh is Papa's fault." <laughs> uh, so then uh, Nell looks. I look. Nell's look like she's seen better days. Oh yeah, because she's, she's just oof. kind of like. Her lips are all chapped up, and she's just like, God damn, I wish I still had that pen. Give that girl some lotion. Then there's this part, guys, <laughs> that we never we never re- like talk about this again or anything. Is that, like, Klaus is popping boils on his hand? It's from the fire, dude. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's supposed to be, like, burn blisters, I guess. 
Well, shit, Klaus, yeah. you did that to yourself. I know, it was his fault. And he's, like, wrapping his hand in bandages after he pops boils. And I'm like, oh, Christ. So right after this part, we get that Celine Dion video. As <laughs> uh, so a lingerie lady, as I call her, right? Uh, she is playing piano, right, in her apartment <laughs> and singing to herself. And, guys, let's just say, if, you, if this was your neighbor, this would be a horrible routine to have to deal with every night. <laughs> I'd be like, if you weren't so hot... She is belting it out, but uh, whew. she's a real Linda with her with her range, right? Oof. Never too high, never too low, just right in the middle. And yeah, man, she spot. loves the sound of her own voice because she is just screaming this. And then Klaus is outside, guys, and he's looking through the window now, right? Mm-hmm. And oh my god, that creeper's back. And then Hank Klaus Storm. watches. Klaus just kind of sneaks away and watches Storm go up to the window, and Klaus doesn't like it, guys. Because Klaus is watching from a distance, and then all of a sudden he makes a noise, and Storm turns around to see Klaus just standing by a tree. <laughs> and he looks terrified, which I would too, yeah. if I saw Klaus Kinski star- just standing by a tree with his disheveled hair and his fucking Mr. Rogers sweater like a on. Goddamn, I think he thought he was Alaskan zombie. <laughs> he might have. <laughs> Uh, and then Klaus just pulls out a switchblade. We this is what what I really like about the scene though is that we cut inside to the lingerie lingerie lady and she's like, "All right, come on in. What are you doing out there?" And just off screen, you can hear him getting murdered. Yeah, <laughs> she's like rubbing her teeth, <laughs> trying to be hot, and he's just dying. And I almost wonder, like, do you think they couldn't get Klaus to film that scene, or was he oh. just really going at the guy with a knife? And they're like, "Okay, we need to stop." Yeah, this. that guy never shows up again, so I'm pretty sure he's really dead. Yeah. Well, he wouldn't let you call cut. So yeah, no, <laughs> it's well, over when I'm finished. You know, in traditional turkey shoot fashion, which Mueller called cut, Klaus went to cut. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's like, we don't cut till I cut, and then he cut Storm. Uh, so then Klaus drops some eyes into a jar in his lab, and I think we know where those came from, guys. Yep. So then he's back with the Russian roulette routine, and guess what? It ends the same way as before. But you know what? He tries again this time because he's like, "Yeah, you know." I'll give it a well, whirl. Yeah, no quitter. He's feeling no. real ballsy. Uh, and he always says Klaus the ain't same. one to desert anything. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're very funny, Mrs. Tripper. Very funny. <laughs> uh, so then a man in a hat and a coat. I called him. I called him librarian detective. All right. Fuck <laughs> this guy, dude. <laughs> you detective. think you really think there's going to be a guy you can get on his side? This guy's a real son of a bitch. He is. He, he. I thought it was Ralphie from the Christmas Story, all grown up. <laughs> no, this man, by the way, he's only appeared in like four other things. But his IMDb profile picture is the last scene he's in in this movie. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> That's awesome. Look, I saw the IMDb profile picture before I watched this movie, and I was like, I think I know where that's going to be from. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't want to ruin it at all, guys, but let me tell you, it has everything in it. Like, everything you would want in it. So it's a fantastic IMDb picture. So good. So he comes up to the apartment, he knocks on the door, and Klaus is inside reading a book, eating some chocolates. You know, he's living his best life at the moment, right, guys? True. And he's disturbed, and he kind of, like, gets up and walks to the door, and he's just looking around and looking around, and then he looks through the peephole, and it's almost like he knows this man, right? Yeah, I mean, he basically acts like me when a Jehovah Witness comes around. (laughs) 
And then you just slowly put the chain on the door. Yeah, right? they can hear it too. I know they can, but I don't feel that bad. But at the same time, you're like, eh, I don't care. Yeah, who cares? <laughs> so he opens the door with the chain on the lock, and Klaus is like, yeah. And he's like, Mr. Gunther, Mr. Gunther. And he's like, yeah, what's he want? <laughs> he goes, my name is Joseph Steiner, and I want to come in and talk to you. Do you remember me? And Klaus is like, yeah, you remember me. <laughs> he's like, I spent three years looking for you. I'm not going to go away. I'm a tenacious man. And he goes, okay. And he just kind of unlocks the door and he walks in. And then Joseph walks in, guys. He lights a cigarette and he goes, Well, class, I know you're a murderer. I can't... <laughs> I know they found you just wandering around those woods in Germany. And and he's like, Oh, I mean, um, no, they. I can't prove it, but I know that you've uh, murdered a bunch of people at the hospital you used to work at. Yeah, he said he killed 67 people with routine illnesses. <laughs> 67 people. Oh, he goes, shit. 67 of your patients died, and one of them was my brother. <laughs> yep. He knew which one. He said number 67 was my brother. Wow. Oh, fuck. And then Klaus says something. He's like, look, I work for doctor t- over 20 years. He basically- and I was like, actually, in 20 years, 67 people, I'd like, that seems like a lot. That but is, is it? it? Like, well, I don't know. I love that Klaus tells him, like, he basically tells him, yes, your bro was one of those that died under my care. My bad. Yeah, he's like, yeah. it wasn't Oops. intentional. You know, shit happens. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> he also says something, like, Klaus goes on this bizarre monologue about how he was delivering babies. Yeah. <laughs> Which I was like, wait a second. Klaus, if you're working in, like, the That's maternity classic, ward. Like, but what about all the good I did? Yeah, but also it's like, wait. They let the guy who delivers babies at a hospital also, like, take care of other people. Like, seems like a full-time job being, like, the guy who's, you know, taking care of the births. (laughs) We are very understaffed. (laughs) So he's killed 67 people with, quote, routine illnesses, which is an odd one, right? So, like, I guess I would be very interested to know what role they gave Klaus at that hospital. Yeah, it's it's very peculiar because I'm like, how the hell do you get away with 67 routine illnesses like dead? Like, you think after like 37, they'd start asking questions? Yeah, yeah, I mean, they'd be like, on. Klaus, are you up to something? He goes, I deliver babies, I'm a good man, and they're like, <laughs> Yeah, you're right, you've done a lot of good, you know. <laughs> I break even in the end. That's how he views it, Bobby. He's like, for every baby he delivers, is another person he can kill. <laughs> breaking you even. Know, you, Yes, exactly. You don't want the overpopulation and all that, you know? Uh, So that's when Joseph drops the fucking bomb. This reminded me so much of the scene in Big Lebowski when they go to that kid's house. Because Joseph pulls out a photo of a Nazi, and he tosses it on the table, and he goes, Klaus, do you know who that is? You know who that is, Klaus? And he's like, I don't know. He goes, no, you know who that is? That's a Nazi doctor. And you know what, Klaus? That's your father, isn't it? That's your father. He's a real dick. And Klaus just kind of, like, puts his hands over his face like they're about to call action, you know? And he's like, eh, I want you to leave. And Joseph's like, all right, fine, I'll see my way out. And then Klaus just kind of looks at the photo and he starts crying and Joseph leaves and he goes, I'll be watching you. Well, he gives him one more photo and it's it's Klaus as a kid in an SS yeah, uniform. It's the littlest Nazi. Yeah, and he, a real picture. So. And Klaus his, is a little HJ. And his hand position is all wrong. What a fucking stupid kid. <laughs> I, does Joseph comment on that as well? Yeah. 
Couldn't even get that right, you son of a bitch. <laughs> Uh, so, so funny is like this guy spent three years trying to hunt down Klaus, and then that's it. Like he just kind of leaves after tossing yeah. a picture of his dad. He's like, "Got his ass." He visited. Got him good. Yeah. He visited to give him family photos. <laughs> you drop something, and this is the part where you're like, "Oh, okay, this is great." Like we'll have a uh, some guy we could root for. When he appears the next time in this movie, I can't stand that man. Yeah, he's a fucking dick. <laughs> yeah, he is. So we cut to Lori in her apartment, uh, and she hears another weird sound coming from the vent guys. And then Klaus is up there. He's now cuddling with a rat. Like, he's got it close to his chin and everything, and he's, like, petting it. And he's like, yeah, it's ratty. <laughs> you understand me, Ben. <laughs> uh, and then she hears the rat, but when she stares at the vent, all of a sudden, Klaus crushes the rat in his hand, and she almost, like, reacts like she heard the rat die. Does she? Which is a little voice went, Avenge me. Yeah. He's like, Help! So then we got to to Klaus in his lab, but guys, he's working on his new death weapons, right? Yeah. Yeah. He's got skills. He's got the old banana trap. Okay. The banana <laughs> trap is amazing. And while he's building a banana trap, he has this voiceover of his first victim. He goes, It was accidental, but I gave me a godlike sensation. And I know that this came from my father. And he just kind of goes on and on about how he can't stop it, and he yeah. loves the feeling. He says, uh, killing is my heroin, my opiate, my fix. <laughs> uh, and then Klaus looks over and he's like, Nell, you haven't touched any of your food. Maybe I feed two cats. And then he brings over this cat that he's introduced, like his brand new friend. And he lets the cat eat Nell's food. And then he goes over to this pile of bananas, which you know he brought himself on the set. And Bobby, what's he do with that banana? Well, he, he, he takes the banana, he kind of slides it into a little opening he's made in this little contraption. And then uh, and then down comes the top part, and holy shit, he invented the slap chop. <laughs> <laughs> okay, most of his killing machines make sense, but this is a dick-sized hole. Yeah, he's made a, uh, a, uh, a castration trap. And I'm really like, okay, he only rents to women, but I really want to see the scene where he somehow gets his some guy to stick a dick in a hole. He's got like a... It's the old farmer's daughter joke. Yeah, you know, it is, the, right? Uh, he's going to have a fence with a bunch of holes. He's like, no, go go ahead. Who knew the old farmer's daughter joke was actually just Klaus Kitsky's apartment? <laughs> <laughs> you feel like he brought that death machine to set on his own? He's like, oh, no, I have one myself. I love it. He's like, I use this in all the glory holes in all Germany. I mean, I was just like, like, look, you can't show me the dick cutting machine and not use it. I know. I was kind of <laughs> bummed about that, actually. Yeah. But he does cut the banana. And then he looks over Bobby at his, his friend Nell. He says, I'm a happy man, Martha. And he does, like, he, like, forces a laugh, too. He's like, ha, ha. Yeah, it's no joke the happiest he looks throughout the whole film. <laughs> cutting his banana. Uh, so then we get to soap opera, and she's invited a man over to her apartment. This is my favorite character in the whole movie. Alfred? <laughs> this guy is amazing. This guy is so rich, guys. He is so fucking rich. <laughs> fucking drowning in it, man. Dude. Can you believe how fucking rich this dude is? He walks around with a goddamn cane. Like he's a got fucking like a, asshole. Dude, he's got like a fucking decoder ring on his pinky, right? And he... <laughs> 
he is so fucking rich, dude, that when they walk in, she's the soap opera is like, oh, how'd you like the ba- ballet? And he goes, about as much as I like getting audited by the IRS, which is way <laughs> too often. <laughs> and, and she just kind of looks at him. She's like, the who? <laughs> she's so confused. And she's like, well, did you enjoy? Do you enjoy opera? And he's like, uh, I don't know, but I find you so charming. And I'm like, what this get the that's fuck after she out tells of here. him, you know, culture confuses me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's what And after favorite. he says, you know, uh, I find you absolutely charming, she goes, you remind me of my Uncle Morris. Yeah, they're about to kiss. And she says, you remind me of my rotten Uncle Morris. Then you hear just the balloon sound, like, you know, when you're squeezing it, and that's Alfred's cock just getting soft. <laughs> Well, we'll find oh. out what really does that to him in a second. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. right now he's just kind of mahogany, but he's holding on. Oh, my God. Well, this guy. So he's disturbed a little bit, but then she's like, why don't I go get changed into something more comfortable? She meant that literally. Oh, because yeah. Because as he, she excuses herself and he goes and sits in this chair. First of all, we cut to our boy Klaus, guys. He's back with those fucking front, those courtside tickets, isn't he? <laughs> Best seat in the house, dude. Are you all ready for this? <laughs> He's got like jock jams playing on his fucking <laughs> headphones. <up there. laughs> hey, <laughs> I would. How much better would it be if instead of rats from the vents, they just heard jock jams? <laughs> just real faint jock jams, volume one. You were like, "What is that?" <laughs> Just like like how you just hear Sammy Johns wift, wafting through the air, you know, just like with the van. You just hear George. Oh, that would have been so good. Now, did you guys notice the uh, the framed photo that dude is looking at while she's slipping into something a little more comfortable? No. no. So he walks over to a framed picture in her, uh, honestly, very nice apartment. And uh, it's a framed picture of herself holding up two Monopoly deeds. <laughs> You're fucking kidding me. What the hell? Nope. It's just her going like, Baltic and Boardwalk. Wow. Oh. <laughs> oh, my God. Imagine if one of the happiest moments of your life was when you were holding up two Monopoly deeds and you framed it and put it on your wall. <laughs> well, hold on. 1986, you developed that, framed yeah. it, and put it on your wall. Oh, that's some work right there, man. <laughs> that was a great day. I finally won, you know. <laughs> So that Alfred, that what what he hears inside the in the crawl space, I swear to God, it sounds like those little poppers you would throw as a kid on the floor, like those little white little. I loved things. those. It sounds exactly like that, everyone. You know, it's funny you mention that. I, I was telling somebody a story about those poppers today. This will be the only time I ever get to recount this story. Probably. You have Is a that story w- about the time you took poppers? No, no. <laughs> you like this one. Uh, I had a friend in elementary school, right? And uh, he was he was a little, he was a bad boy, I guess. You know, a little oh, bad he's boy. getting into trouble. And he used to have, uh, yeah, he's he was a little bad boy. <laughs> and he used to wear like the saggiest pants you would, like the saggiest pants, right? Which drove my mom crazy. Well, one day for his birthday, I was over at his house, and like his grandma sent him a big box of stuff, and in there was those poppers. And he was like, "Check this out!" And we're standing in his driveway. He takes a handful of those poppers and just throws it towards the street at the same time that a car just happened to drive by. Oh, shit. 
He hit the side of the oh, car, no. and the guy slams on his brakes. And us being like two ten-year-olds, we're dumbasses, so we just go run, which is to <laughs> just his house and we're in the driveway. But while we take off running, his pants Ugh. fall down, and he trips and he falls flat on his face. And the guy who was driving the car wasn't even mad anymore. He just looked at him and laughed and drove off. <laughs> well, my work here is done. Karma's and then the craziest bitch. part is we took his picture, framed it, and put it on his wall. This is one of our happy days, dude. That's the best, You man. replaced his Monopoly photo. Yeah. <laughs> oh, uh, so Alfred, uh, no, his pants doesn't fall down, but he hears that weird sound from the, the vents. It might be... Uh, like Daniel said, it might be poppers or it might be, are you ready for this? Klaus loves him them jock jabs. And he goes, what Makes is him feel that like an Ubermensch. <laughs> <laughs> what is that racket? As Alfred like gets up on a chair and he's staring in there and he's poking his cane at it. And then all of a sudden, Soap Opera walks out of her room. And guys, she wasn't kidding about being more comfortable, was she? <laughs> She comes out looking like Sam the Eagle from the Muppets. She uh, she skins Sully from Monsters Inc. <laughs> like she is wearing so much clothing, it is full like it's just fur. blue feathers. Yeah, it's just fur everywhere, feathers all over the place. It's like a full robe. And he was like, "Oh, you weren't kidding." <laughs> she comes out in a uh, Ric Flair and then she robe. Com- <laughs> you know, Woo! it is kind of a Ric. <laughs> <laughs> If Klaus would also Ric Flair his way through this movie, that would be a great character. I would have fucking loved that. I just wanted Klaus uh, doing the Ric Flair strut down the hallway. You know, (laughs) no joke, when Klaus was alive, he definitely could have played Ric Flair in a biopic. He's got the hair, he's got a picture Klaus uh, whipping off his pants, throwing it on the ground, and then dropping an elbow. Yeah, I could imagine him with that cocaine red going on. Uh, and so then, this is one of my favorite parts, is that Soap Opera comes out, sits on his lap, sits on Alfred's lap, right? And she goes, oh, Alfred, I love your cane. It's so long and sleek and hard. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm getting real turned on. And she asks him, she's like, so just how rich are you, Alfred? And he goes, does it matter? And she goes, yeah. I, mean, I, I would have gone home with you if you weren't. Yeah, they they say this and while I they're in the honesty. bed. They haven't, like, started having sex. You think it's the end, but no, it's another, like, awkward pre-sex scene in this yeah, movie. Yeah, I thought he had already, I thought they'd already had some fun times. Apparently not. Uh, but yeah, she says she won't even date a man unless he's rich, right? Uh, and that's when you hear Klaus from the vets, right? It's not jock jams this time. It's just, <laughs> he likes to now, like, hit his knife against a metal ball. And it just makes this tapping noise. Yeah. And Soap Opera's like, well, just ignore it. And he goes, oh, I cannot. I cannot make love with this sound. And she's like, oh, come on. Just forget it. And then suddenly, guys, there's a loud scream. And Klaus just... It was Klaus. (laughs) Klaus just runs through the vents back to his lab to find out, guys, that banana trap. Uh, Oh, no. It, it caught that cat that was only in one other scene. I and mean, how do we know that, Bobby? Because <laughs> when he gets back to his attic, he finds the tail. Just it, the tail. It's the second well, time. So the cat backed it up onto the trap. I love the part, though, when Klaus picks up the tail and he goes, Sorry, kitty. <laughs> I'm still hung up on the logistics of this. The cat had to turn around and jam its tail in the hole. 
Well, okay, from what I understand, the cat went in the hole and only the tail was left. Yeah, I think that's oh, what may happen. Okay. Which makes Boy, even less sense wrong. because the thing was only big enough to fit a dick. Yeah. Or a banana. That was a fuzzy cat, man. If its I, body was dick so, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, it was a well endowed cat. <laughs> like it was more like a duster. <laughs> but this is my favorite a Swiffer cat. <laughs> This is my favorite part of the whole movie, is that it cuts back to that sex scene, and the rich guy, Alfred, goes, I simply can't make love with that sound in the background. <laughs> and he's like, good day, as he just walks out and he goes, let me tell you one thing before I leave. The next time you talk to your landlord, talk to him about hiring an exterminator. <gasps> yes. And you know he was like... Got her ass as he walked out of the room. You <laughs> Got know. it good. He's like, I shan't fuck a peasant. <laughs> Pretty much, right? <laughs> Mr. Monopoly, you know, he's not lowered his standards tonight. <laughs> then he put his monocle on and he went, da 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 da. <laughs> but instead, he goes outside in the hallway and he hears, Are you ready for this? And he's like, Oh. Oh, is it somebody. Watching a basketball game? <laughs> and he kind of creeps upstairs to the open door of Klaus's apartment. He just goes up and up and up, and then all of a sudden he goes inside, and that door shuts, and the tapping gets louder and louder, and we cut. Two body parts and jars, and guys, Alfred's finger with that power ring in the jar. You gotta love yep. it. And uh, and Klaus is doing his uh, Doogie Hauser end-of-the-day diary entry. The worst, the worst is that, that Klaus says, May 9th, 1986. Fuck that. Who says that? <laughs> you don't like how he said the date, huh? Sounds like a real Nazi way to say that. It is a very you know. Nazi way to say that. Yeah. Guys, uh, update on Nell. Not good. She's not looking good. Not going, well. <laughs> not going great for Nell. But then, um, by the way, Klaus then kind of has a new thing for his blame for killing. He's like, also, I think I killed more because I moved to America. <laughs> it seems to be all father and America fault. <laughs> like, okay, dude. He's building himself a good defense, you know, when eventually he goes into court. Um, yeah. So Lori's about to take a bath, and then Klaus, of course, guys, he's got those front row tickets. He's watching mm -hmm. from the vents. Hey! He has it, but like, instead of hey, it's a rat going, <laughs> He's got that noodle that they wave behind a free throw of the basketball game. <laughs> just waving it from up there. Oh my god, if the whole time the sound was just thunder sticks and... <laughs> The vent? I love it, dude. Dude, thunder sticks could be terrifying if you don't know it's thunder sticks. Man, if somebody remade this movie, they'd have to have the Klaus character carrying around thunder sticks the whole time. <laughs> uh, so then she looks up. This is this is my favorite shot in the whole movie, guys. Oh, yeah. Is that Lori goes right up to the vent, right? And Daniel, what'd she see? Well, you know, she goes, <laughs> she goes up to the... To the to the little air duct screen, and you get a little POV shot of a of a rat coming at her, don't you? This is amazing, though. Is we get a shot of like a rat's face and its hands like grabbing. It's like the rat got stuck, like his head got stuck in a. It's like like um, it's like, like a one of those sitcom episodes, right, where a kid gets his head stuck in the stairs or something, right? It was kind. Of, it's it like, was almost comedic. 
It is. It's like a ridiculous shot of a rat that got his head caught in the vent. <laughs> it's like... <laughs> yeah, and he's screaming everything. I got a legit laugh out of it. <laughs> Same here, man. <laughs> like, what the hell? This shit was funny. Some puppet master shit. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? I feel like after this movie, he's like, fuck this. I'm just going to make a movie about puppets. I don't have to deal with Klaus. <laughs> now, I didn't see The Littlest Reich. Did that have a Klaus puppet? <laughs> you know, it might have. But you know what? Blade kind of seems like Klaus. He's got the hair. He looks like Klaus. Yeah. Yeah. Might be. Uh, he's about the same height. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think that sh- uh, Schmaller made that puppet <laughs> think- on purpose look like Klaus? I feel like he did, dude. Was Klaus a puppet all this time? <laughs> he was the original puppet master, you know? Oh, oh, okay, that's what I want. A remake of Crawl Space, but it's like Avenue Q. <laughs> I like it. It's like Let let My Puppets Come. Yeah. Uh, so Lori runs up to Klaus's apartment because she's like, all right, this is enough's enough. A fucking rat tried to force his way through my vent tonight, right? In a very comedic way. And so she tries to come up to Klaus's apartment. He doesn't answer. Guys, because Klaus is at in his lab, he's preparing his newest killing device. A chair with a spike that shoots right up your ass. Oh, my God. And I'm like, man, I've heard of hand buzzers, but this is something brand new, dude. What a joker this guy is. It's the first draft whoopee cushion. <laughs> Who needs a juice cleanse when you got a spear up the butthole? <laughs> hey, don't knock it down. <laughs> This is going to be a new thing, dude. You see. There's, everyone's going to have the chair that shoves something up your ass. <laughs> so Joseph knocks on the door of Lori. I lo- this is so crazy, right? And he's like, hi, um, I talked to you on the phone previously. She's like, oh, okay, great. Come on in. And Klaus is like, what the fuck? Is he's crawling through the vents? He's got to see it, right? <laughs> so this son of a bitch, Joseph, goes into her apartment. He lights a cigarette, lights a cigarette, and then goes... Do you mind if I smoke? And I'm like, dude, that Ugh. is a that's a real son of a bitch move. Such a dick. Then he makes it worse by going, "Ugh, if I were you, I'd be annoyed because there's nothing more annoying in the world than smokers." <laughs> I'm like, "Well, fuck you, dude." Like, what? <laughs> like he basically comes in, he's like, "Yeah, I know I'm an annoying asshole, but what you going to do?" <laughs> <laughs> At least I'm not close, right? <laughs> then he like, like he reads like her whole Facebook about page, right? Okay, he sits down, he pulls out, like, a fucking card, like a note card, and he goes, Lori, right? And she's like, yeah, and he goes, he just reads her whole story in front of her, and he goes, oh, and you had a sister that died when you were four, right? (laughs) He's such a dick. And she's like, what the fuck are you talking about? She goes, what are you investigating? And he goes, oh, yeah, Klaus murdered my brother. And she's like, what the fuck's that have to do with my dead sister? And he's just like, you know, I don't really know. And I'm like, dude, you have blown it, man. You have really fucking blown <laughs> it. Three years, pal. And I'm like, does Klaus still got that dick machine? Like, I found a use, dude. Because <laughs> we're putting all of you in that one. <laughs> the whole thing. Uh, and so she's like, I think you should go. And he's like, yeah, man, I really fucked that up. But while he's on his way out, guys, Klaus has got a little surprise. Oh, yes. He- he has got a, a piece from the set from one of the one of the props from Bloodsucking Freaks. <laughs> is they, that he has a blow dart? 
He, you see, uh, well, you know, I got, I started getting excited because at first I saw just like the dart and I saw that it was like a little arrow and I was like, oh, is this motherfucker got a blow dart? I think he and you, does. you grabbed that pillow. I put did. Put it over the lap. I started filling the pants for Gamortis, man. <laughs> Next thing I know, here comes out a blow You're dart. You're ready to load the banana machine. <laughs> I'm about to freaking just spunk it, dude. And he doesn't even use the blow dart. Oh my God, again, uh. you can't just show it and not use it. Damn it. <laughs> I was so bummed, but you know, at least there was an appearance. That's true. <laughs> little tease. Little, <sighs> little nippy. This movie's a, there's a, there's a real big tease, this movie. Yeah, just a, a big yip. A, a big yip tease. <laughs> so Joseph's walking outside, and he hears, are you ready for this? <laughs> and he's like, where is that coming from? Oh, I love that song. And he just goes upstairs. He goes upstairs, and he walks into Klaus's room, and it's actually a clicking sound, okay? Because this is like a new thing, is that Klaus... He, like, puts Newton's cradles everywhere, which, if you don't know what a Newton's cradle is, it's that thing that with the balls that swing and make noises yeah, was... that, like, every... <laughs> yeah, well explained, Mike. I mean, you <laughs> gave your dad it for a Christmas gift. It's the thing with the balls that swing and make noises. Yeah, you everybody... Pornhub? Well, I was going to say <laughs> that you put on a desk, okay? Like, it, Yeah, it's like, like the, the one that Magneto had that was floating on his desk in the first X-Men movie. Every kid gave his dad this for Christmas one year, and his dad was really disappointed, you know? Yeah. Well, I think Dad was just glad it wasn't another bottle of Brut by Fabergé. Yeah, it's either a bottle of Brut, a shitty tie, or a Newton's cradle. Yeah. That's all they were getting, I right? I gave my dad a Nerf Or those years when the paper route went really well, you get all three. <laughs> <laughs> so, he walks in, he sees this Newton's cradle, and then Joseph takes a seat in the chair because the diary's open, and guys, uh-oh. I love how he reads in, in uh, Gunther's voice. <laughs> Yeah, he reads in, in Klaus's voice. Also, he's flipping pages while reading the same entry. Um, and then he looks... <laughs> I, I like the idea of snooping around somebody's apartment while having a cigarette. Yeah, yeah this son of a bitch He'll still never has know a I was cigarette. Here. It's really but, casual. And then, this is, this is the best part of this scene, is that Klaus has been hiding behind a curtain the whole time, and he just kind of like slowly makes his way out. And he's not even like trying to be coy about it. He just stares right at Joseph... And Joseph stares at him, and then, guys, he well, gets that cleanse. Well, you know... Got his ass. What happened was he just had Taco Bell. <laughs> I mean, oh, no. look. He got the Baja Blast. We've all had that day, right? <laughs> he got himself that Baja yeah. Blast. <laughs> you know, if they made a Taco Bell commercial where they're like, come and get the Baja Blast, and at the end of it, some guy gets a fucking Baja Blast colonic. <laughs> get the Baja Blast, get a butthole surprise. <laughs> It's like, I you know, I buy it. It still wouldn't stop me from reading there. Nope. <laughs> I mean, it's just down the Let's street. See all tomorrow. Some guy just sits his ass right on the drink machine, dude. This message brought to you by Taco Bell, official partner of the Grindin. God, I wish. We need that Baja Blast money, dude. Let's funnel it here. I can make it happen. Hey, you know, if the price is right, I'll, tr I'll try it out. <laughs> Look, we'll all sit on the chairs and you can squirt Baja Blast wherever you want, all right? I'm not going to lie. I feel refreshed. <laughs> yeah, you could do it to us, and we would say we feel refreshed. Yep, Just give yep. us the check. Just do it. It's called shooting the curl. <laughs> or I guess shooting the cinnamon twist. And all right, guys, even though we didn't see it, go ahead and mark that middle bingo card. Yeah, Just go ahead and do it. We know it's know? there. We got some ass play. Yeah. You could do it. Uh, so we go back to the Russian at, rule. At least, at least punch something through that. 
Yeah. Don't punch anything. No, let's not encourage people to pull a Klaus, okay? Let's not punch anybody. <laughs> uh, so we're back at the Russian roulette table, right? Nope. One more time. Nope. One more time. Nope. Yeah, he almost seems sad that he yeah. doesn't die here. Yeah. Because he goes... Yeah, his, uh, his so be it gets sadder each yeah. time. I feel like he loaded it with a real bullet. And everybody was like, well, you know, do you think, by the way, the four... That's what I told Bobby. The four producer, right? Yeah. Could have been the oh, scene. We're going to do a little, uh, little Das Crow. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. He's just like, no, it's perfect. You know the scene where he's always playing Russian roulette, you know? And, and the director's like, yeah, I don't think we're going to do that. <laughs> Klaus wondered why every time he did that scene, instead of cut, he just heard, fuck! <laughs> I guess that means stop. <laughs> oh, uh, so Klaus has now put on makeup in his face. <laughs> like, okay, this movie takes Man. a turn, dude. Yeah, suddenly baby look pretty now, mommy. Heath Ledger, put- you heck. <laughs> right? Yeah, would you like to know how I got these scars? <laughs> you know, it is dangerously close to the Joker. Totally close, yeah. Honestly, if they'd made uh, a Batman movie in, like, 79, he'd have made an amazing Oh, fuck oh, yeah. yeah. He would have. But it's the way people talk about uh, about uh, Willem Dafoe now. Yeah. Who's basically, like, the current Klaus Kinski without all the problematic elements. Yeah. Who's a delightful man. I heard him at a Q&A. Actually, a really, really great guy. He actually is. Yeah, so far we haven't found out anything about yeah, him. Yeah, he's like a sweet grandpa. <laughs> Klaus has has done up his whole face in makeup. He puts on lipstick and he starts smearing it all over his face. The best part about this scene is that Nell is just watching from the cage, being like, "What the fuck?" It's like if it, if instead of instead of goodbye horses, it's a da 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 I'd stop me. I stop me. Oh God! So then. It gets weirder because he flips on a projector (laughs) and uh, he just starts playing footage, like propaganda footage, like a Lenny Riefenstahl film of Hitler and the Third Reich. Uh, And this is when I write my notes. I go, this movie truly is. This is a fucking wild movie, dude. Yeah. It's weird. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Who knows what could happen next? So, yeah, he dresses up as Ilsa. And uh, he's got got big old tits. And he's like, hi, honey. Um, Which is so fucking crazy in- because Jock Jams is playing this whole time, dude. <laughs> and he's gotten he's gotten no. a YMCA at this point. Cut. No, 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 no. Hi. But uh, he owes Heil Gunther. Yeah. Yeah, as he puts he on a Nazi hat. Like, he puts on the hat that yeah. he had himself from the war. He brought it to set yeah. that day, and the director's like, oh, well. <laughs> you know. And man. That is peak Klaus Kinski. As he dresses in full Nazi regalia, he salutes himself. Yep. He says, I'm my own god, my own jewelry, my own executioner. Wow. Yeah. You know, guys, I just realized something. Um, this is kind of off topic, but kind of on topic. Is I'm, I'm looking at the track list for the original Jock Jams. Are you now? Are you <laughs> really doing we, that? <laughs> we all know the song Tootsie Roll. Right? Oh, the 69 boys. I had the single cassette. I never knew as a child that their name was the 69 boys with a Z. You didn't? No. Oh, man, I knew. Damn. Cotton candy sweet as gold. Let me see that Tootsie Roll. Man, these guys are dirty. I feel a whoop coming on. (laughs) Kids listen to this. Which is so crazy because this is the scene when, let me see that Tootsie Roll as Klaus is. (laughs) That's the scene when he's putting on the makeup. (laughs) 
And he starts going to the left and then to the right and to the front. And Nell is just and watching the back, this. Like... And then he slides. But he slides in the air vent. And he's trying to get Nell to clap along, but she's just not into it. Man. She's just crying. <laughs> <laughs> Shit. <laughs> so then he just starts up, whoop, there it is, as Hitler appears on screen. <laughs> Okay, um, <laughs> I gotta say, I know you're listening, Lee. Uh, <laughs> we need you to re-edit some of the scenes from this movie so that he's playing jock jams. I want the whole movie edited with jock jams throughout the whole fucking Replace thing. Replace the score with jock jams volume one for the entire film. Okay, that part when he's looking at the banana before he puts it on the seat and puts it in the banana trap, please play, I got the power. As that thing's going in there. I really... That's oh, the man. one I want. <laughs> or you can play Tootsie Roll in that part. It makes sense. Uh, so, guys, Lori comes home. She's hearing the tapping sound coming from her kitchen. This, this part's crazy. This is basically like when the Home Alone movies get good. Yeah. It's like... It's trap time. Oh, yeah. And, dude, you don't want to mess with Klaus McAllister. You don't. Because this shit goes to a new level, man. He's just fucking with her at this point because she comes home, she hears something coming from the fridge, she opens it up and there's just a bunch of rats in there with a Newton's cradle. Yeah, and I'm like, huh, this guy's complicated. And I'm thinking to myself, I'm like, do you it's think like, those are her it's rats? Like Muppets or... take Manhattan in that kitchen. <laughs> <laughs> they're cooking breakfast. They're like doing that ice skate thing with the butter pads. It's like Joe's apartment, but with rats. Yeah, what do you want? <laughs> And you just hear like from the from the fridge, you just hear pump up the jam, pump it. <laughs> I'm glad to say, get your booty on. Yeah, it'd be awesome. Oh, we're so nineties, my god! And she just kind of slams that like, what the hell was that? Like she's not even scared at that point. She's like, what the fuck? What even happened? She's like I'm really starting to regret renting this place. <laughs> and then the phone rings, and she answers. She goes, hello, and Klaus just goes. See, guess who's swimming in your bathtub? And she even but she could she could barely hear him because Groove is in the hardest <laughs> playing over it. She can she honestly goes like huh and then hangs up like what? Then she just runs into her bathroom. She pulls open the curtain, Bobby. Oh man, Oof. rough. And she and there's our guy Steiner the, being rude again. Ralphie. <laughs> okay, little Ralphie shot his ass. This is <laughs> finally this happened. Is, I know I said the rat coming through the grate was my favorite shot. I lied. It's this shot. This is the. This is a real chef's kiss on an amazing movie. It really is. It is. Totally. Is that Joseph, he is laying in the tub. He is, has the Charles Manson swastika carved into his forehead. And he has a little toy boat. Just floating around his his dead head. It's corpse, like magic right? sprinkles on a death scene. That little toy boat. It was adorable. Loved it. It's, it really made everything. If up. you look up this man's IMDb profile, that's the picture. It's a screenshot of this movie, and it includes the boat. Oh my god! <laughs> it's incredible. <laughs> I hope he was the one that did that because that I would be like, awesome. Damn the boat and everything. This guy's a fucking legend. He's only in like four movies, but I was like, bravo, sir. Yeah. Lori then runs around her apartment and she stares through. She looks out the window and Klaus is out there with a boombox on his shoulders, guys. <laughs> He's all love me. And he hears, hip hip hooray. Huh? Is it, yeah, this is when the uh, wipeout starts. 
out. <laughs> but he's actually like he always does this thing where he taps he taps a switchblade onto these balls right like a newton's cradle ball signature um, move but i really like to imagine it's a jock dance thing <laughs> so she runs out of there and then all of a sudden like this metal grate stops her from running out of the apartment yeah that was kind of out of nowhere yeah and then she's like ah oh, damn i'm trapped so she runs into Lingerie Girl's room, and guess what, guys? She's playing that damn piano again and singing the damn song she always sings. <laughs> she's not getting any better, and Lori's like, help, help! And she doesn't answer, and she goes up to her, and she realizes, oh my god, she's not moving. And then Bobby, she goes up to the piano. Oh, this is almost as good as Skeleton Detective. She gets up there, and when she gets in front of her, she sees that uh, her hands have been bolted to the piano. Yeah, this was crazy. It's a and she's scene. also got a swastika carved in her. It's on her cheek, right? Yeah, and he's like, for some reason, Klaus has forced open her mouth. Yeah, like a vice it's grip a, or something. Yeah. Right? Oh, right. He had like a. It was like half in her mouth and half under her chin. Yeah, yeah. He's got like like Dana said, like a vice grip, like opening her mouth so it look actually like looks like she's singing. Yeah. Uh, and so then Laudre or Lori's like, uh, okay. <laughs> and she kind of runs out of there. She's like, all right. She runs upstairs. She goes, oh, this is one of my favorite parts. Is is this the part when she... Oh, no. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Is this the part when she runs in in the Southern Bell? Yeah, so she she runs in the Southern Bell, and this is... I mean, if y'all like the Reese's Pieces product placement in E.T., <laughs> this is the best M&M's product placement ever. <laughs> she runs up to Southern Bell's door, and for some reason, Klaus is like... I didn't even know how to explain it. He is like rigged some sort of like Mortal Kombat trap <laughs> as her door or something. Because she's like stuck in this bed of spikes with like fucking M&Ms on it and stuff. Like all her groceries. <laughs> it's like, what? And so then she runs upstairs. She goes into the lab room, right? And she shuts the door behind her. And she notices Nell. And Nell's pointing up to this key that's hanging from the ceiling. And Lori, Lori frantically tries to unlock the cage. And before she can, Klaus comes in. But Nell has the key. And she's trying to unlock it herself. And Lori goes to hide. Then Lori goes over the vent, guys. But she's not dumb. She knows there's all these traps in here. She dips her shoe into the the vent entrance and a blade cuts. Man, this is like cube yeah it really is kind of like cube yeah you know at the end of cube you never saw it in the first one guys it's actually just Klaus's apartment <laughs> <laughs> uh and so then she gets into the vent now that the trap's been uh set, yeah it cuts right? her uh case wish you would have yeah and so now Lori gets in the vent and she watches Klaus as he enters the room and walks around and then Klaus knows immediately where she is because he just shoves a metal stake above her and she just kind of crawls through the vents. So this is this is when he's brought his Nazi rats, Bobby. He brought these from home. His, his whole squad of Nazi rats. And this is great because he has, for some reason, this cage has like a big, uh, like a curtain on it, right? Like it's the big show. And he pulls up the curtain and he lets out these rats and you almost, you know, feel like Renfield, like rats, thousands of rats. But instead of thousands, it's it's like two. Yeah, it's like it's like they're like and the rats are super cash. They're just like, hey, what's up? This is so funny because you could tell they really wanted it to be like. And then she's gonna get chased by like hundreds of rats, but like the PA could only get like five. 
<laughs> and they're like, well, I guess we'll make it work, but we really got to rile them up and stuff. No, every time it shows her crawling away and then she looks back to the rats, they're just kind of like hanging out. Yeah. Like one of them waves. You're like, hey, uh, you got any cheese, huh? What's going on over here? <laughs> it's just an amazing, like, when they cut back to them, is they're just, eh. <laughs> yeah. The rats are nim. And the sad thing is, guys, this is the best footage they could get. Yeah, it's, it's, this is like, yeah, that was one of those, ah, this didn't really work out, but uh, it's okay. Also because the vents are so big, when you fill it with five rats, it looks like there's just barely anything in there. Yeah, she could know? dodge them so easily. <laughs> yeah, because at first she's scared, and then she's like, nah, nah. <laughs> but she's actually more scared because, guys, this is incredible. I love this. When Klaus gets into the vent... To start the crawl chase? He fucking has some sort of vent skateboard? <laughs> He's like has a luge <laughs> in his vent. Yeah. Oh man, it's it's like Michelangelo skating in the sewer. I Fuck was yeah. so I was so jealous. I was like, I want this. You know what came one year after this movie? Please no. The Running Man. <laughs> oh really? It was eighty seven. Oh. This movie's eighty six. Holy Interesting. crap! Interesting. I don't remember who directed The Running Man, but you. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, this is this is when Wipeout starts playing when he gets on that fucking little sled. Oh yeah. And you know nothing, <laughs> Surfing USA. Nothing made me more happy than yeah to the song of Wipeout or Surfing <laughs> USA. <laughs> seeing, <laughs> seeing Klaus Kinski ride around on a skateboard <laughs> <laughs> on his stomach. I was like, what? you had me, you had me, movie. But this, and now it put a ring on it. <laughs> I, I grabbed the pillow at this point. I was like, all right. <laughs> Is it hot in here? He looks so happy, too. I like went and I opened the window and I was like, "Woo!" I'm I'm pretty sure you got the vapors. I'm pretty sure Klaus said, "I'm tired of crawling. I want sled." Oh my god! Like he brought this to set himself. Yeah, he's just got sick of crawling in that bitch. He was like, "I'm he's like, so tired of it." He bought himself a fucking luge. <laughs> I want luge. And they're like, "What?" We, we, we're so tired of fighting him. Just let him have it. You know he swung at somebody when they tried to take his luge away. Oh, he swung the luge like it was a steel chair. He's like, I keep luge at the end of the movie. I also You're keep running through that set like La Parca. I like the idea that Klaus would just go around set being like, I like this also mine now. Like, just taking everything. Take the hat off your head. <laughs> like just at the end of at the uh, the day they wrapped, you know, they did the champagne wrap. He brings a U-Haul to set. <laughs> it's just filling it up with stuff. It's supermarket sweep style, man. He showed up in the cart. <laughs> I like this banana cut. Mine now. Okay, Klaus. <laughs> also the bananas. I want Nell Cage. <laughs> I want Nell too. No, Klaus, you can't have Nell. Like. <laughs> We gotta let her out. We gotta let her out now. <laughs> I love the idea that Schmoller's just sitting there in a kind of monotone voice. You gotta let her out. <laughs> He's just so tired. He's exhausted. He's not even looking up at him. He just says, no, class, class, you gotta let her out. <laughs> She's already out the truck. <laughs> Klaus just kind of loses around, uh, and Lori gets herself back to the lab. She gets out. She's sneaking around while the Nazi propaganda movie's going on. And then Klaus sneaks out, and this is great. Is like 
the propaganda is doing its job because it kind of gets Klaus and he's like kind of watching it and he just becomes fixated on it and he can't look away. And Lori's trying to sneak out of the room and then all of a sudden a hand appears behind her mouth, guys, and it grabs her. She spins around to find out it's Nell. Yay. <laughs> and then this is crazy is that Klaus dies off screen by a trap. I couldn't believe it. I was like, you dumbass. You set off your yeah, own I thought trap. That was, I, yeah, at first I was like, what the fuck? I'm like, that's how this ends? I, no, and when I was watching this, guys, I was like, they couldn't get that son of a bitch to do the stunt. Like, they couldn't even, like, no. he wouldn't even fucking be there when they put a fucking knife through his, his <laughs> fake corpse. And it's not like you could bring in a double. He'd, he'd accuse him of witchcraft or whatever and try to box <laughs> yeah. him. He's like, oh, you thought you could be right, bring me to the <laughs> yeah. set? Box him and burn him right there on set, man. Uh, so then Lori and uh, Nell just kind of run out of the room. Uh, and just kidding, guys. Klaus just set all that shit up to fool him. It's a trick. <laughs> One of those Nazi tricks. It's a treat, guys. <laughs> yeah, that, the, old, uh, <laughs> the old spear through the body gag <laughs> gets him every time. Because he, like, he like opens his jacket and pulls out the front part. And this is a bizarre thing where he's like, he's painted, he's gush blood all over himself. Yeah, he's put like this... You know, we've had the and arrow through the head. Gag. They didn't see it. No, he did that whole thing for himself. Yeah, it was really odd. Yeah, it's a Steve Martin arrow through the head. <laughs> and we see Klaus just go, "Well, excuse me, <laughs> excuse me." <laughs> oh, thanks, Klaus. Yeah. Yeah, that's all the energy <laughs> you get. Me. So then she goes. Lori and, and Nell go into Klaus's apartment. They go to the phone. Nell, this is I kind of got weird about this. Is that Nell sits down? I'm like, dude, haven't you been sitting enough? Like at this point, <laughs> I'd be like, I'm, I'll stand. Thank you very much. I mean, she well, she's been crouching she, a long time. Her legs probably don't have a lot I of energy. Say, I, it's amazing yeah. she could even stand. <laughs> <laughs> Holy crap! Uh, so she's like, I need to sit down, man. <laughs> and so then Lori picks up the phone, and then Nell, because she can't talk, is just like, ah, and like trying to get her attention. As Klaus just walks through the door, and he's just. He's got all the fake blood on him and everything, and he's just doing this that Klaus smile. This is his real, you know, courting routine. As I'm sure what he did to scare many of many actresses on set as he showed up in fake blood oh, yeah. and disheveled hair and just came closer and closer to him. Like, hello, you love me? <laughs> and she's like, no! <laughs> and she grabs the gun and just starts clicking it until finally it goes off, guys. Perseverance. Click, click, boom. And then we just cut to this great shot of the Russian roulette room with the camera spinning and the, the gun on the table. And it just says, so be it. So be it. And oh, the music, the man, s- flower in the vase. The score at the end is like a Guillermo del Toro, like soundtrack in Pan's Labyrinth or something. It's so yeah. weird. Mixed with jock jams. That's great. Yeah. Then right. it, yeah. The it ends time. with jock jams. <laughs> yeah. If you listen further, they started playing the album. So. <laughs> Uh, so would you guys recommend Crawl Space? Go for it, Bobby. Uh, honestly, yeah. Uh, like we like we alluded to this morning, uh, or this morning, we've been recording a long time. <laughs> God uh, damn, man. At the beginning, like we were, you know, like when we woke up this morning, we were talking about it, because uh, we all watched this together and fell asleep at each other's it's beautiful. We, uh, what I'm trying to get at is I wish I'd seen this when I was younger, like you said, Daniel, that uh, this is exactly my kind of shit. Like, this is a weird kind of proto-slasher kind of an early form of saw but uh more palatable for me there's it's not really that gory of a movie it's kind of it's kind of stupid but also really well made yeah and there really is um you know 
there is an energy, there's an aura to Klaus Kinski, horrible bastard that he was, like, you can't take your eyes off him. Yeah, that's true. I mean, I feel I feel the same. I wish I had seen him when I was younger. I just feel, um, like, I know it's more of up your alley, Bobby, but I really do wish it was a little bit more kind of slasher film. Like, I wish I could have seen him kill fucking, um, what's his name, Storm, Hank Storm. You oh, know, sure. like I wish there was a little bit more gore to it, but I I still love the direction of it. I love the just the the way it's filmed and the fact that it's all filmed inside that that little apartment is pretty dope. So yeah, I, I totally recommend it. So guys, this movie is very very misunderstood by critics, I think, because when this movie came out, it actually did get actual reviews. One of them being in the Los Angeles Times, where they quoted Michael Wilmington quoted. Here, writer-director David Schmolder's story construction is so inept that the movie seems to begin during the middle, other than Kinski, who projects such inner tension that you wonder if he's trying to suppress laughter and sharp the sharp cinematography of Sergio Salvati, this movie has nothing worth praising even with a faint damn. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> just uh, picturing someone watching it and just faintly going, damn. <laughs> Was that from uh, the critic from uh, Bloodsucking Freaks? <laughs> <laughs> Might be. He's a trash. trash. The TV Guide I've seen better. Uh, gave this movie one out of four stars, saying, quote, not as gory as most slasher entries. Crawl Space is instead simply ugly and disturbing. I know, but those are good wow. things. <laughs> I think they don't. I don't really think they get it. No. Like, I don't think it means to be a, a typical slasher movie. No. no, and like I think that the horror genre in 1986 was so like bad. I guess at that point it's like just slasher film after slasher film. That when somebody tries to make a movie that has something kind of interesting in it, they're like, "Yeah, garbage, it's, trash." It's kind of like trash. It's like well, half I think, Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer and half slasher, like mixed together, like a hybrid. Yeah, yeah. which you had to at this point by '86. We're at the death knell of the slasher boom. I mean, the really the heyday for slashers was like five yeah, years earlier old. than that. So, I get why you'd want to try something different. And I also kind of get why critics would go, "Ah, fuck another slasher movie. Fuck it, it's trash. Zero stars, yeah. and give it no but to chance." But actually say, "Yeah, it's not gory enough." It's like, I mean, really? Yeah, I mean, there's how still, bizarre, right? There's still something there. Yeah. Uh, so no, I recommend this movie. I think it's it's actually a really great little indie movie. Uh, it has a really low budget, and, uh, but a lot of. I think it, it's a very well-made film. Now, where did we watch it? In case anybody wants oh, to Oh, well, it I down. watched a copy on YouTube with Greek subtitles, but you can find it on Amazon. It is available on Prime, or do you have to rent it? Um, I don't think it's Gort price. No, like, I you, don't think it's $6. No, you have to rent but... it, but it's like $3. Yeah, if you're, um, you know... It's a respectable 3 Oh, also, by the way, Mike, um, fuck you for bringing, the, bringing Gorp Whoa. to Grindbin. <laughs> <laughs> hey, that was a Patreon vote. Okay. <laughs> Uh, apparently, Daniel oh, uh, uh, actually paid full price to rent Gorp. So, yeah, good for him. Or for the for the low price of only fifteen dollars, uh, Shout Factory put out a Blu-ray that features the short documentary I referred to. Please kill Mister Skinksy and a uh, a feature length commentary by David Schmoller. Great, I highly recommend oh. that. Um, and that's actually well worth the fifteen dollars. Yeah, so you know, you can rent it on Amazon for three ninety nine, and you can buy it for ten dollars. So. Not bad. Yeah, much better than Gorp. I think I actually bought it, so... So... Yeah. I recommend buying it. You're a proud yeah. owner now. So, guys, 
Do you hear that sound in the ventilation ducts? Oh, God. No, 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 not that, not that. How do you guys think Bobby and Vito fit in the world of crawl space? <laughs> well, uh, I'll go first, yeah. if I may. I think, um, well, obviously, now that now that Klaus is out of the picture, uh, very quickly, I'm sure a new sign came up outside the building that it's under new management by uh, Straight Arrow Property Management. Where now all the uh, all the apartments are still only rented to women, but now they all come pre-furnished with water beds, and uh, they've done some renovations. The buildings now have twice as many ventilation ducts. <laughs> oh, that's awesome! Wow. Well, Daniel, how about you? Um, I I kind I feel like because uh, I decided I'm just gonna make this up out of my freaking, you know. Those are usually yeah. the best ones, Daniel. <laughs> well, this one won't be. Uh, <laughs> so I'm thinking, you know, uh, Bobby and DeVito were, were outside the house and they were they were checking out those those little nipple windows going on. Um, by the way, that's like a $75 bra, I'm pretty sure. So don't ruin don't ruin your bras out there for the two ladies that watch that listen to the grind bin. Yeah. <laughs> little word yeah. of advice for your friends at the bin: don't don't cut nipple windows. Well, little 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 PSA are, from the grind bin. Are, from Daniel specifically, don't. Uh... <laughs> Anyway, so they're watching, and and uh, and Klaus comes up around the back, you know, walking like an Alaskan zombie, and they see <laughs> they see him. Is that what they had in the chili? Yeah. <laughs> and they see- yeah, they're a bunch of kidskis, dude. <laughs> and they see him, and, and they freak out, right? And, and and Klaus is like, "What are you doing here?" I'm like, well, we just like what you got going on here, man. Like, we we want to get into this business. We want to see what's up. So Klaus goes, okay, I teach you why, why he has that accent now. I don't know. I've lost the. <laughs> <laughs> and so then Klaus teaches him the ways of, the, of, of, you know, apartment landlording. And also he gives them each a ball bearing and a little switchblade. And the story goes on from there. Yeah. Wow. Well, guys, mine's a little more simple. I definitely think that, um, well, yeah, as you know, that apartment's been rented quite a few times. And there's a certain guy that always tries to show up asking if it's vacant because he wants to hang out in that apartment building with all the pretty girls in, front, in it, you know. But Mr. Kinski keeps having to tell him, no, it's rent. But you wonder why he's setting up that banana machine? Well, <laughs> if that guy comes around again, he's going to pull the old oh, farmer's man. daughter on him. <laughs> if anyone would fall for he goes, it. Next time he show up, I show him apartment. And I show him three hole, <laughs> and uh, little three hole yeah, punch. I think we know what happens, guys. <laughs> and it, when it's done, Klaus will put his hand on his shoulder and go, "Poor kitty." <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, guys, uh, Daniel, do you have anything to promote before we end this episode? Um, uh, anyone that happens to be living around San Antonio, Austin, in that area, I'll be playing with Drown the Fear. It's a hardcore punk band out in San Antonio on March 28th. I think it's like a Saturday at Reptiles Bar. So come by and check that out and uh, enjoy the show. Man, somebody finally promoted something on the show. That's fantastic. (laughs) It happens every now and then. We don't know what to do with ourselves. (laughs) I hope like the one San Antonio listener shows up. He's like, sup? (laughs) With a blow. (laughs) Hey, here's the thing. If you show up to that show, bring a blow dart. (laughs) <laughs> yeah i'll need to bring a pillow with me then 
just right on stage. You're like, no, 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 no. <laughs> Nothing like watching a guy play guitar with a rock hard one. So uh, you can find us on grindhousefilm.com. We're Twitter at GrindPod, uh, Grindbit Podcast on Instagram. Uh, and you can join us for t- as little as $2 a month, guys, on our Patreon where you can hear bonus episodes. We got all sorts of fun ones in there. We do weekly mini bins. Uh, just recently had one about Sega Game Gear. Uh, and Howard which Johnson's, is which is such a bizarre promotion that they ran. We recently had one that uh, Shane and I recorded, guys, about the final episode of the TV show Webster. And this is wild, guys, if you haven't heard of this. On the last episode ever, six seasons of the show Webster, it's a crossover with Star Trek The Next Generation. But it's just Webster hanging out with Michael Dorn and his his wharf makeup and they go through a clip show of webster wow everybody gets warfed eventually. yeah it's fucking crazy uh so check that out on our patreon guys a little is two dollars a month and um anybody have a final line uh, well really quick i was gonna say oh. i just realized that the mini bins basically be on shrooms yeah it's just it's just grind bin but much more loose <laughs> right. and re- really and if you if you like us you'll love the mini bin it is us uh, turned up to a low. Oh, yeah, that supermarket sweep episode is fucking crazy. I gotta get on one of those. High recommend. Oh, definitely. You're gonna. Definitely. You're gonna. <laughs> I mean, the rest of us aren't gonna be on that one. It's just you. But you'll <laughs> be like, there. Hey, everybody. <laughs> she can't talk. I cut her tongue off. Got, 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 got no, 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 no,